My name is Will Spencer, and you're listening to the Renaissance of Men podcast, a place for extended, in-depth discussions about the rebirth of virtuous masculinity happening around the world today. My guest this week is an educator, content creator, musician, and meme magician. He goes by many names. In fact, you may follow him and his creations without knowing it. He's the co-founder of Theos University and the meme maker of Woke Jesus Christ and many others. From King's Church in New York City, please welcome Gabe Finocchio. This is a time of transformation. As old ways fall, men are called to rise, to heal our lives, grow strong, and transcend our limitations. In tribes around the world, drawing on the best of masculinity from all of time, a new day is beginning. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance. The famous American physician and poet Oliver Wendell Holmes Sr. is rumored to have once said in reference to Christians, some people are so heavenly-minded that they are of no earthly good. In other episodes of this podcast, we've discussed the ways in which many Christian men seem to lack a particular kind of grounding, let's say, like in physical fitness, financial independence, or building systems of sovereignty from the corporate government globalist state. And if you've missed those conversations, don't worry, there are more coming. But there's another way in which Christians can often come across as ungrounded, their uneasy relationship with modern popular culture. Now, I'm the first to say that modern pop culture is fallen, sinful, openly satanic in many cases, and mostly woke garbage not befitting the intellect of a house pet. Sometime ask me how I really feel. However, it has important value for one core reason. Pop culture is the language that many people communicate in today. There's a reason why leftists conceive of things in terms of Harry Potter It's an example of how we use stories to organize our world, in the same way that emojis organize our emotions in text. Whatever we think of this fact, it is what it is, which means that some fluency in the language is required. Now, I'm not telling you to go out and watch that latest Netflix series. I'm trying to make a point, which is that we're in occupied territory, to borrow from C.S. Lewis, and so it makes sense to be able to communicate in as many languages as possible or at least as many as we feel comfortable in. Another one of those languages is, as I'm sure you know, memes. Memes are news and entertainment, social glue, social commentary, and social currency. And following the 2016 election, they became politics in theory and in practice. How many memes did you look at today? How many did you share? How many do you have on your smartphone camera roll? How many folders do you store them in on your hard drive? How many group chats are you in on Telegram, Signal, Discord, or other platforms that are entirely sharing memes and nothing else? If you're anything like me, the answer to those questions is a lot. So that means, like pop culture and emojis, memes are one of our common languages too, one that Christians must be fluent in if we'd like to be heavenly-minded and earthly good. I've heard this called the serrated edge, using humor, wit, and satire to make the point. Mocking bad ideas, sinful practices, charlatans, snake oil, and much more. 
this language isn't for everyone, but for those who speak the language, mwah, chef's kiss. Which brings me to my guest this week. He's a Christian educator, content creator, and meme magician, and he preaches at King's Church in New York City alongside previous podcast guest, David Englehart. You might follow Gabe and his creations on Instagram as Woke Jesus Christ or Woke Mary, Silly Graham Ministries or Theos You Memes. Rest in peace. And if you do, you'll know he's helped create a Christian meme language all his own. That subject is what I expected to talk about. But not long into this discussion, I realized that behind the serrated edge that I admire about him, he also has a rich perspective on theology, morality, politics, religion, culture, sphere sovereignty, the decline of the United States, and much more, which in hindsight is probably where memes really come from. A profound grasp of the issues that run so deep it can be expressed in a single image and just a few words. Viewed that way, memes really are magic. In our conversation, Gabe and I discussed many things. The McDonald's of evangelism, the ABC of the gospel, cooking the evangelical books, pufferfish churches, ecumenism versus sectarianism, the de-Christianization of America, left versus right and up versus down, the rights of God over the state, how we've all been dulled by prosperity, how capitalism becomes communism becomes slave state, and finally, satire as a sneak attack. If you enjoy the Renaissance of Men podcast, thank you. Please share this episode with a friend. Also, please leave a five-star rating on Spotify or a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts so the Renaissance of Men can reach more people. I've got other exciting news as well. On Monday, February 27th at 5 p.m. Pacific on Zoom, I'm hosting an online seminar called Exiting the New Age. This will be a community event for those considering leaving the New Age for Christ, as well as those who have already made it, and for experienced Christians who want to learn what the New Age is and how to minister to people still in it. Keep listening to find out more or visit renofmen.com exit. You can also find me on Instagram and Twitter at renofmen, plus follow me on YouTube at youtube.com slash at renofmen. I've just crossed 1,000 subscribers, which means that I can monetize. So be on the lookout for live streams and more coming soon, at least before the woke mob finds me. And speaking of the woke mob, who's sure to enjoy this episode, please welcome this week's guest on the Renaissance of Men podcast, from Theos U, Silligram Ministries, Woke Jesus Christ, and King's Church in New York City, Gabe Finocchio. Hey, Gabe, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Will. Pleasure to be here. I'm a huge fan of, uh, of everything that at least that I know that you do, which is you know, the, the multiple pages on Instagram. And uh, I know that you <laughs> have I've listened to some of your sermons as well. And of course, music and, and you're involved in, in so many different things. And it just creates this, it has this spirit around it. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to kind of digging what, into what some of those things are and the spirit you bring to the things that you do. Cool. Yeah, I sorry, go ahead. Oh, I, didn't, I didn't know if that was a question or not, but go ahead. <laughs> uh, it, it was it was not a question, but it can certainly be responded to. So go ahead. Yeah, no, I try to um you know, I try to be faithful with uh the things that God has uh given me. And I, I think that the Lord wants a return on his investment. Um and so when he gives us gifts. I, I believe that he expects us to use them for his glory. 
And so, uh, you know, it's, it, it, it would, I don't want to be the, I don't want to be the servant who buries his, uh, gift or, you know, takes the thing that God has given him and hides it and doesn't use it. But I want to be the kind of a, a servant who's, you know, good and faithful and, and, uh, using, as I said, his gifts for his glory. So. I yeah. mean, I, hopefully that's the spirit behind what you're seeing and stuff. So, Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because I, I go to Apologia here in Phoenix and uh, the pastor, Jeff Durbin gave us a, a sermon about that very subject about the talents. Um, that was a, that was definitely a theme of it, of the, the need yeah. for um, men and women within the church to really let their gifts shine and show and to not ba- bury their talents in the ground and, and how much yes. effort that takes and how much, you know, it doesn't just happen magically. Like it takes effort, it takes grit and discipline and, and perseverance yes. to do that. Yes. Yes, totally. Yeah. I, that's awesome that you go to that church. I love, um, his, uh, uh, pastor Jeff's, uh, spirit and his ministry. And, oh man, I've seen, I think I've seen a couple of videos on his, on YouTube of him standing outside of like a Mormon event and him just going at it. And I love, I love that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'd love to be a part of that. So, you know, the, the, if, if, if ever, uh, he does that in, in a place that I'm in, I, I'll join, I'll join ranks with him because that's the, that's the coolest thing. Well, come uh, on. Does he still do that? Does yeah. he still? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah that is amazing. Yeah. There's, I think there's, there's some, uh, out some street evangelism that happens every single day of the week except for Sundays for the most part, but, you know, Saturday nights, uh, out at, uh, Mill Avenue, which is the main, the main drag through the middle of Arizona state university and, wow. uh, several days a week at abortion mills here in Arizona. And actually on Sunday, a bunch of us are going out to the super bowl because the super bowl is happening on Sunday here in Phoenix. And so we're going to go out and evangelize at the super bowl and there's a big golf tournament the same weekend. So there's all kinds of evangelistic activities, um, happening right now. That's amazing. I, Man, so you guys have a an evangelistic uh, event happening every single day, and it's it, there's like a program that's that's kind of you know running that at, at your church. Yeah, I, I mean, I could, I mean, if you, I could go get up and I could get you this week's this past weekend's bulletin and show you the dates and all the evangelistic activities and where they're happening. Oh, like, I it, love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's so cool. We need, I mean, we need more of that, and I, yeah. I just, I love that. Um, that Pastor Jeff is so, uh, you know, there's such a great emphasis there for on evangelism and Christian apologetics yeah. uh, and training people how, you know, in, in evangelism, because, um, yeah, that's that is such a huge, you know, hole or wound in, yeah. in the church that that just doesn't uh, seem to to be addressed. Um Anyway, I love that. That's so cool. I'd love to maybe talk and get more information from you after this uh, about that. Sure. Yeah. So, say say yeah. more about say more about the wound because I, I agree with you. I, I, and I'm I'm new to the faith. I just got baptized a couple of years ago, and I've been a quick oh, study. Wow. And I can see I can see what you're what you're describing, but I'd love to hear more about it. So just speak to the speak to the wound. Yeah. Well, I I think that um, evangelism. So. What's happened over the last probably forty years, uh, but but particularly with a, a particular intensity over the last twenty years, 
within evangelical churches, uh, Pentecostal churches, non-denominational churches, uh, mega churches, if you will, is a shift from the uh, the service uh, being about the celebration and worship of God, the triune God, to to exalt um, <clears throat> Christ and to come and uh, come into His presence and encounter His grace and encounters the the, uh, the presence of the Holy Spirit uh, and and to receive from the Lord, receive the Word of God preached to the people of God, um, and you know renewing the minds of the people of God. So that that was the old focus. Okay, that was the traditional Orthodox practice of Sunday morning uh, church uh, to come into the house of God and exalt the Lord and receive from the Lord. Uh, so it was very much about God. It was very much focused and centered around the presence of God uh, in his people and the word of God being being um, uh, taught to his people. So that shifted in, um, you know, basically I would say the baby boom generation. <laughs> the baby boomers shifted in in like the 1980s there was uh, a gentleman named Bill Hybels uh out of Chicago and he shifted he helped to shift the service from being focused about God uh, be, being focused on God to being focused on the people so now hmm. it was a it was a service that was not the purpose of the service was not to celebrate God but actually, and to and by celebrating the Lord, exalting the Lord, equipping the saints mm -hmm. for the work of ministry, it was now about uh, focusing on the unsaved, but in a way that was making the unsaved feel comfortable in 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 the auditorium or in the sanctuary, really, and and really causing people to come in and 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 just see what was happening. It was the idea of. You know, everybody is welcome in the church, and we want as many people in here as possible. Uh, we want uh, unsaved people to come in and feel comfortable, and we don't want to offend any of them. And we don't, we certainly don't, wouldn't, wouldn't want to, you know, cause them uh, to be to to walk out of the service if they felt uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. uh, so, what we're going to do is create a service that is what what they were calling seeker sensitive. I was going to so ask, yeah. Sense it was sensitive to the seeker and it, and it turned into what I call it an attractional church model. So it was all about attracting the unbeliever into the four walls of the church. Mm -hmm. And, and now the, to make it, you know, to, to not make it sound so demonic <laughs> or evil, you know, I think you can, the <laughs> well, the intention, mm -hmm. see, see, we do have to, we do have to be honest here. The intentions may have been uh uh good in 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 the sense that the intention may have been well we just want people to to come to know Jesus we just want people to 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 experience the presence of God like we do we just want people to become christians okay great i i agree with that let's let's get people to become christians but not at the expense of the the uh worship of god we do not put aside the worship of god in order to uh, worship people, to worship man. And that is an idolatry. 
That is an uh, that that is a a spiritual corruption. That is a uh, form of cowardice. Mm-hmm. Uh, to and and what has what has happened is along with that attractional model has been a compromised gospel. Yeah. And so the gospel is not was uh, over that course of time because it was about attracting people. Uh, the gospel was 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 no longer preached uh, as a gospel of repentance mm-hmm. and a gospel of uh, uh, of, of, sin, of you know sin that all men have sinned and that you deserve hell. You do not deserve salvation. You belong in hell. You, you know, but that that belonging in hell turned to no, no. You belong here. You belong in the church, and you belong before you believe. Yeah. And so all of this has been, and and it used to be, you know, again traditionally, if you took a guy like Billy Graham. Billy Graham would have been the kind of McDonald's of evangelism, you know, <laughs> yeah. he, he was, but, but he was, he, in that, in that being the McDonald's of evangelism, when you went to Billy Graham and I, but what I mean by that is the, the McDonald's of old school evangelism, you're going to get a hamburger, right? And yeah. you, it may not, it may not be exactly what certain people would be looking for, but Billy Graham always preached repentance. He always talked about sin. So he he would always that was the old school model. So regardless of of you know the the nuances in his ministry that can be criticized, it was it was it was that you you at least got a hamburger, right? Yeah. Now they're just giving out Twinkies. Now they're just giving out. <laughs> now there it's there's no there's no substance in yeah. in in the evangelistic message, and so people aren't even really getting saved. They're 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 not even encountering Christ. They're not, they're not being, the gospel is not being preached at all. Mm-hmm. And so basically, uh, what, again, what, what's happened is that, um, that shift, that massive shift in the nature of church, uh, identity, um, and, and really the nature of church ministry has caused a compromise in the gospel. And so now people, now it's bring your friends to church in, instead of the old message, which was bring your friends to Christ. And this is part of what I, what, what I say to people is don't bring your friends to church. Don't bring your friends to church. Bring your friends to Christ. The message of the gospel is not bring your friends to church. It's bring your friends to Jesus. It's learn how to be a fisher of men. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to call, you know, come and follow me and I'll make you uh, you know, <laughs> I'll make, I'll, I'll give you, you know, blue check marks and, you know, uh, I'll make you celebrity pastors, you know, and I'll, and I'll, and, and, and he, he, even, he didn't even say, follow me and I'll give you fish. He didn't even say that. He said, follow me and I'll teach you how to fish. You see, follow me and I will show you how to be independent of me. Not, not, not in an ultimate sense, yeah, because course. he said without, Without me, you can do nothing. But what what he's what he's doing is he's training these men how to do ministry, how to do what he's doing. At one point, he turns to the disciples and he says, "You feed the five thousand. You know, you you. I want you to now go out into ministry." He sends out uh, the 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 apostles, uh, the seventy. He sends out the, the seventy disciples to evangelize and to preach the gospel. So in other words, he's not doing it himself. He's saying he's commissioning them to do it, obviously with his power, with the power and the grace of the Holy Spirit. 
But the whole point is, you know, the church needs the, the, the true, uh, uh, vision of evangelism, the biblical vision of evangelism is that it's not all on the pastor. It's it, the pastor is, re, isn't responsible for getting everybody saved. That's mm. not the biblical model. The biblical model is that the pastor equips the church for ministry. The equipping Ephesians chapter four is he's, he's given gifts unto men. Uh, uh, he, he, uh, you know, those, the gifts of prophet, uh, uh, pastor, evangelist, uh, teacher for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. So we are to be equipped. The lay people, the laymen are to be equipped as ministers of the gospel, lights that are shining in darkness, you know, going out as firebrands, lighting the world on fire for, for, for the holy fire of Christ. And that is the purpose of evangelism. So that if a person, you know, uh, if a person is working at Starbucks, they know how to evangelize their coworkers. And if they get fired for doing so, glory, glory to the Lord. That's awesome. You know, yeah. and, it, <laughs> and it's like the, the idea here is they at least know how to uh, preach the gospel. And there's a simplicity to the gospel, as Paul uh, says. There, there's a so simplicity good. to... Yes, there's a simplicity to the gospel. It's not complicated. We complicate it. We make it impossible, you know, and, and we say you have to have a PhD in order to, uh, to, you know, preach the gospel, to teach the gospel, to know the gospel. It's like, no, that's absolutely nonsense. The gospel was communicated to these, you know, uh, unlearned fishermen, uh, and, and base, you know, dudes who did not understand a lick of academic you know, uh, talk and, and, and thankfully, because that shows the power of God and the, and, and how the truth of God, uh, is not subject to the, 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 the intellectual prowess that we might have. Um, but it, there's the simplicity of the gospel. And I really believe, honestly, I really believe that Paul in Romans one, two, and three shows us the simplicity of the gospel. Almost mm -hmm. like it's like Romans 1, 2, and 3 is like the ABC of the gospel. It's like the, the Gentile world, the pagan world, the Greek world is, is, is sinful. The Jewish world is sinful. Mm -hmm. Everybody is sinful. And we all need a savior. And, you know, it, and, and we all need the atonement and we cannot earn it. And, there's, and, and you know, Christ is the atonement. He is the sacrifice. He, he is the one that by faith, all, you know, we just put our faith in Christ and his work, his sacrifice, and we are saved. And trusting in his sacrifice, we become uh, sons of God through our incorporation into Christ as, as the son of God. So, so anyway, so the, the whole point is that it, there's a simplicity to that message. And again, so I, I'm all about to, to end this kind of rant here. I'm all, I'm <laughs> keep all, going. I am all for, um, uh, cr ordinary Christians learning how to evangelize. Yeah. And I, I believe, uh, the, you know, the, the, I believe in what's called the three E's. Uh, my dad taught me this, the three E's, which is exalt the Lord. The purpose of the church is to exalt the Lord, equip the saints and evangelize the lost e evangelize uh, uh, the world. And so the, that is the, 
that is really the the simplicity I think of the purpose and the mission of the church. But and in that order, you know, the exalt the Lord first, then out of exalt exaltation, mm-hmm. then you have a vision from the Lord that you've received from the Lord, and then as you are uh, e- equipped um, yourself, then you can go and evangelize. And now, now you you know, as as I was saying before, Jesus is wanting to make us fishers of men. Jesus is is and you know this lazy Christianity. I think Bonhoeffer called it cheap grace. You know, it's mm. it's it causes us to um, become apathetic and slothful in our in our in our own lives, and uh, and that causes us to be poor servants, to be poor laborers in the kingdom of God, and and we we won't ever catch the fish. You know, because mm. we're we ourselves, if we never mature and grow up, we will never be fishers of men. So we need to mature and grow up. And as we mature and grow up, then and then we can handle more responsibility and become in, instead of instead of coming and saying, oh, give me fish, give me fish, give me food. You know, now we're catching the fish. Now we're, you know, we're, we're, we're doing um, what needs to be done. So anyway, that's so my my rant is over officially. But all that to say, <laughs> okay. I believe that we that evangelism so th- there's this basically there's this war over um you know kind of war in the heavenlies but on a 40,000 foot level there's this war taking place right now in the in the uh evangelical church uh mega church non-denominational church as to what uh uh, the the identity or what we call we would call it model like what's the church model but I don't like that word it's like ew it's like a it's like mm-hmm. a, it's kind of like a, a you know it, it's like an atheistic word you know but it's it's really identity what is the identity of the church or purpose what is the purpose of the church and um and particularly what is the purpose of the Sunday morning gathering is it to exalt the Lord or is it to exalt the world. Is it to exalt man or is it to exalt God? And th- that is really, in my opinion, the uh, the war that's going on, the the conversation, the argument uh, that is taking place between, I would say, the you know the kind of older baby boom generation who began all that garbage in order, and again, in order to in order to grow and mush, you know mushroom the, the church, right? Because you you will see like Bill Hybels. He had one of the largest churches in America, not just Chicago, but Bill Hybels, he was running, you know, thousands of people, like 20, I think he was at like 20,000 or 25,000 people when he retired. um, I think Um, uh, other guys like Rick Warren, you know, they were uh, very much so uh, that type of model as well. And so these guys were running thousands and thousands of people and, and, and in, in, uh, in, in a certain way, Americans are very much impressed by, <laughs> you know, results. And yeah. so they're like, well, you got the people. Wow. Then he must be doing something right. You know, he must be doing something right. And, and it's and it's like, okay, brother, like, if, if I produce, uh, you know, thousands and thousands of apples, um, aren't, you aren't going to care if they're bad apples or not. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. just well because said. I have all these apples. 
Yeah, just because I have all these apples, I have thousands and thousands. Look at my orchard of apples. But it, the fruit's all rotten. Take a bite of it. Take a bite of it. That's how you test the fruit. You know, walk up to the parishioner, walk up to the congregant and and the average Christian that goes to those churches. And I love what Leonard Ravenhill says, you know, um, he, he goes, uh, <laughs> he goes, I don't ask people if they're saved anymore. Uh, you know, pe- people are, everybody's saved from the jailhouse to the White House. He says, I ask people, does Christ live in you? And he says, you know, he says, some, a lot of our people, uh, if you ask them if they're saved, they'll say, again, this is a Leonard Ravenhillism. And he goes, uh, if you ask people if they're saved, they'll say, of course I'm saved. And then if you ask them what they're saved from, you know, uh, they'll say hell. But he says, the real question is, are you saved from lust? Are you saved from pride? Are you saved from envy? Are you saved from lying? Are you saved from hating your brother? Are you saved from dishonoring your parents and dishonoring, you know, uh, authority? Are you, you know, are you saved from uh, sin? That's, Mm -hmm. that's the, so in other words, what's the, what, what's the quality of the fruit, right? So what we've done is we've, we've, (laughs) we've basically cooked the books, you know, and these, these, these church growth models, right? These church growth models have, uh, they have essentially, you know, tried, they've, what they've done is they've, it's like using steroids and thinking that you're, you know, you're, uh, you're really, you know, strong, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, no, you're cheating. You're, 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 you're not actually doing the hard work here and pr- producing uh, true disciples of Christ, people who are genuinely saved. And honestly, you know, I, I went through, uh, or I didn't, I, sorry, I experienced Hillsong. Uh, my brother was a part of Hillsong and I, I would meet people at Hillsong and I'm telling you, like they, they were, um, some some people were I do I do think some people the Lord in spite of Hillsong's problems used Hillsong to uh, get people uh, you know sure. in, into the kingdom of God. However, it so many people that went to Hillsong uh, were essentially you know they did not experience, experience tr- uh, the gospel because it was not preached there. It was. It was feel good. You're, everybody's welcome. You belong before you believe. Uh, you know this 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 garbage. And 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 now that the church, you know, because I live in New York City, now that the church is essentially gone, all the where are all the people? Where are all the people? Where are all the Christians mm. that were that were by the thousands going? And honestly, if you if you follow up with a lot of them, they're all deconstructed. And they're, you know, back in the world, you know, back in, back in their sins. And so it's like, were they, were they really, you know, in, I'm not necessarily reformed. So, (laughs) so I do believe, I do believe that people can lose their salvation. But all I'm saying is these people, you know, you wonder if they were ever saved in the, in the first place. Mm -hmm. So, so that's my question. It's like, were they even really saved? Because our, you know, so is our evangelistic, um, uh, uh, is this model of, you know, this, this, this uh, pattern or this uh, scheme of trying to get as many people in the building as possible, this attractional church model, these church growth strategies that all these pastors are desperate to, uh, 
to acquire. And so they go to all these conferences and they're trying to figure out all the metrics of church growth. Mm. Um, is it, is it really, is there any real purpose behind it? Um, outside of just inflating, inflating the numbers and inflating, uh, the, the, the growth and making our churches into puffer fish churches, you know, where, <laughs> where, where they look, they look bigger than they really are. The, the, the church that I go to in New York city is called, uh, King's church. And, uh, the pastor there is, uh, pastor David Engelhart. And I, I, I love what he says. He says, um, uh, he, here at King's church, he reminds people all the time. He's like, we're not trying to grow a big church. Yeah. We're trying to grow big Christians. Love we're it. trying to di- you know, like the, our, 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 our purpose isn't to get as big as possible uh, with numbers. We want to, we want, we want you to grow. We want you to mature. We want, we want to grow big Christians, strong Christians. Um, and I think that's got to be the trend that, that, that's got to be the, sorry, that's got to retrend or, or that's got, to, that's got to be the, the refocus of, um, of the church, you know, taking discipleship seriously and uh really investing in uh the in in discipleship but it's got to start with a true gospel message a true gospel message that talks about repentance and sin and judgment and hell <laughs> and the bad news before the good news right mm-hmm. and 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 getting the bad news right and getting the good news right and it's got it's got to be you know both of those things together anyway I'm done. I'm done. We we can end the podcast right now. I'm kidding. Dude, thank you, Gabe. That was great. Good conversation. Where can people find? <laughs> I don't feel like actually. I feel like I'm just ranting, and I no, no, no. I want to I want to hear you more. Sorry. No, no, no. Congratulations, you. I was I was I was um, watching. This was the podcast that went from zero to sixty the fastest in in terms of like things that I like to talk about. So congratulations on that. We were like okay, we were like cool. just a few minutes in. It's like oh we're going okay cool. So there, okay, cool. there, yeah, yeah, no, I was, I was beautiful and, and it was informative for me. And, uh, like when, when, when that much comes up, it means there's so much to talk about. And, and so, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in the, the privileged position right now of choosing what, what to, um, what, where to take that. And I think the, the thing that's coming up for the most is like, okay, so you have the, the collapse of the evangelical church over the past, however many years, right? From to, to become seeker sensitive. And thank you for, I had heard that term before. Uh, thank you for breaking it down in a way that now I can understand what was really meant by that. The attractional church, you belong before you believe. I had seen all of those and I had a sense of kind of what they meant, but I didn't understand the intention and I didn't understand what was behind them. And, and now I can see, I can kind of plug it into the situation for the evangelical church now. So mm-hmm. this is the year of hurt feelings. And when I say the year of hurt feelings, but I mean every, I mean everybody, and so and so you have the collapse of the evangelical church in America. You do have a few faithful churches. Pastor David was on my podcast last year, by the way. So I've got good kills like right up there on my bookshelf. So we had oh, a great that's time. cool, great. Yeah, we had a lot of fun. So um, okay, so you have the collapse of the evangelical church. In response to that, I have a lot of Catholic and ortho Orthodox bros who insist that the collapse of the evangelical church, Protestants are to blame for everything. And what we need is either Rome or, <laughs> or, Constant, or Constantinople. <laughs> and so, and so um, I, I, um, now I'm all for, for, for building a big tent. And I, I like what Doug Wilson has to say, that electricians can argue about the right way to light a house. 
when it comes to individual salvation. And there can be a right and a wrong way to light the house. But I think there mm-hmm. are a lot of people in all different denominations of the Christian faith <clears throat> where the lights are on. <clears throat> now, where I start to get a little bit like <clears throat> um, not a fan of is where they start saying things like, if you're not part of my church, you're not saved, period, end mm-hmm. of discussion. And so, yeah. and so um, now, but at the same time, I recognize that a lot of their critiques of evangelicalism in America are, are pretty spot on. Like it lost, there's not a bone left in, evangel- in evangelicalism spine in many cases, but I don't know that theirs is the, they may observe uh, the problem, but I don't know that they have the right solution. So I wonder if you can speak to that a little bit. Well, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> go for it. That's fine. I, I don't know where to begin with that. Yeah, that's, I that could be wrong. Like, a, this is just my own assessment, right? Totally. No, no, no. Um, I, I, to be honest with you, it's, um, I kind of look at the, the first, the first thing I would say is that, um, I look at it as a little bit like Lord of the Rings where you have, <laughs> you have like this conglomeration of people that are all trying to to fight against Mordor, mm-hmm. um, and they're they're odd bedfellows, and they're they're <clears throat> you know they're, they're people that they're people that that don't typically get along, right? So you have the elves, and you have the dwarves, and they hate each other, you know? Yeah, <laughs> so, for a good reason. And so, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so you have there, there's there's a when I when I look at the body of Christ right now, um. You know, I, so I I try to when I when I talk when I think about ecumenicalism uh, or ec- ecumenism, however you mm-hmm. want to pronounce it or say it, um, I try to uh, start where I would say C.S. Lewis would 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 have started in mere Christianity. So I take a mere Christianity approach to ecumenism, and I think Lewis did a good job in in that book of of really you know, showing people that we actually have a lot of common ground with Catholics and with the Orthodox. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, but I am, I'm interested in working together with them um, only insofar as it's Orthodox, uh, you know, <laughs> lower only case insofar o. as lower, yeah, lowercase O. Um, and so, so what we talk about, so I have a, a company uh, call a, a teaching ministry called uh, Theos University that I founded with my brothers, and basically, you know, we we try to make bite sized theology. We're we're amateurs, right? We're amateurs, but we we try to we we saw as you know, see, we 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 were coming from that Hillsong, uh, you know, uh, that that kind of X Hillsong, you know. Uh, breaking Hillsong type, mm. uh, you know, breaking, breaking charismata, charismania, breaking, uh, Pentecostalism. You know, we, we, we still believe, uh, we're not cessationists. We do, we still believe in, in gifts of the spirit and things like that. Uh, but we, we, we were coming out of this, this kind of pop charismatic, charismatic movement, pop Pentecostalism. And really, um, we were we we saw that people were not being taught the word of god mm-hmm. people were not being people did not know scripture people did not know the word of of christ and uh saint jerome said if you ignorance of the scripture is ignorance of christ 
And so people, people are not growing in the word of God. And if you're not growing in the word of God, you're not renewing your mind. If you're not renewing your mind, you're not being transformed. And so, and, and, you know, so basically, you know, we're, we're, we saw this, this horrible kind of uh, shallowness and this stunted growth in this pop Pentecostal, uh, uh, Pentecostalism. And we were like, we need to address this. We need to, we need to do something because, you know, my brother and I both love the scriptures and we love studying the scriptures. And we, we, uh, we, you know, we want that to be the norm. And so, and we, we did come from, we were raised in, uh, a teaching movement, uh, called Ministers Fellowship International, which it's got its own history, and they started a Bible college, which is where my brother and I went. And so they they were charismatic, but very you know maybe charismatic with a seatbelt. I think, as mm. Mark Driscoll likes to say, <laughs> and, and, and basically, that's great. Uh, basically, you know, they were they 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 had a heavy emphasis. Uh, one of their teachers was a man named Kevin Connor. Uh, he was an Australian Bible teacher, and he he was you know, he, he bled scripture. And so it was a heavy emphasis on, on, on biblical theology. And so all that to say, we, uh, we, we, in that, in Theos University, we emphasize what's called historic, what we call historic Christian orthodoxy. And, you know, basically like when Catholics are like, I'm Catholic, what we say is, well, we're, we're historic Christian, you know, orthodoxy. We, we, we care about this. We try to care about the same things. And so, mm. you know, we try, because I don't believe you have to be Catholic in order to care about church history. Right. Mm. But those are not, those are not, um, you know, like you, you can be a Protestant and care about church history. So, and so that's, and I think C.S. Lewis w- was was a a Protestant that cared about church history and that cared about what the church has always taught, and and so in that sense, um, you know, we try to do the same. And the ecumenical activity, like the the work between working together with Catholics and Eastern Orthodox, I would say it 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 merges around the essentials of the faith. Mm-hmm. And as far as we can agree on the essentials of the faith, I'm all for it. What I don't like uh, in terms of ecumenical activity or, uh, or, you know, working together with other Christian denominations is when really we're not, we're not rooted in the same essentials. And really what we're doing is we're tying the tops of the trees together and we're calling it one tree. Mm. And it's like, look, no, 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 no. And that's where I would differentiate from conservative Christians and liberal Christians. Liberal Christians, they do not believe in the Nicene Creed. They do not believe in the uh, historic teaching of the church. They do not believe in the Ten Commandments. They do not believe in the authority of Scripture, in the inerrancy and inspiration and infallibility of Holy Scripture. They do not believe in these things. And so, and so there's, that's, that's, but that's the basis of what we as conservative or traditional Christians believe. Mm -hmm. So, so I, I can't work together with people who I I would, I would argue are probably not even Christian. (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, 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 so that's, that's kind of where I come, come at things. And so I'm, I, but I do believe that, that, um, there are Catholics who, you know, um, all differences aside, differences aside, they do believe in, uh, the, the same things I, I believe in, in terms of they might add to what I believe in, yeah. but, but we all, we all actually believe in the, in the, in the creeds, in the, in the Nicene creed, right? So we, we all believe in the, in, in these, uh, statements of faith that we, you know, we, we, that are historic and orthodox. We believe in the, the hypostatic union of Christ. We believe that, you know, um, you know, so, so I would just say that, that there's there's a lot of common ground, as C.S. Lewis put it, between traditional Christians, um, and and I'm willing to I'm willing to to dialogue and yeah. to and to I'm willing to call them uh, brothers in Christ, um, and I think I would say this I would say that there's been, there's been a healthy shift post Vatican II in uh, that that the 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 Second Vatican Council at least for Catholics, uh, basically said, look, you know, uh, you can be a Christian and not be a part of the Catholic church. Mm. So that was a healthy, that was a healthy thing for them to realize. Okay. And for them to come, <laughs> come to grips with. Right. So yeah. it's like, <laughs> you know, good on you guys. Like, okay. You know, that's, that's a good first step towards working together or towards, but I do believe this. I believe that um, we are fighting against Mordor, and I do believe that Mordor is on the march, and I do believe that uh, secular humanism is a is the, is honestly a bigger enemy, uh, and woke theology is a bigger enemy than uh, than the differences between Catholics and Protestants. Uh, I should say, traditional yeah. Christians who call themselves Catholics and Protestants and Eastern Orthodox. I would say that. That like we can, as I said, like it's a Lord of the Rings type scenario where we know that we're coming from different places. Um, but if we, you know, we can, we can, we can argue with each other, um, and, and forget about Mordor, um, or, you know, and and in that case, we'll be arguing with each other in concentration camps. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? It's like, we'll be doing, we'll, we'll be like tapping on the wall and have still having these arguments. It's like, Uh (laughs) it's it's like, you know, like, and, and, and that's, that's, that goes, that even goes for Protestants, you know, because I don't, I don't subscribe to, you know, I'm not a Calvinist. I I don't subscribe to, to Calvinism. I respect Calvinism, uh, as a, as a formidable and, and, uh, very logical and powerful and well thought out system of theology. But I would take uh, probably more of a Thomist approach to predestination. So I believe in predestination. I would just differ uh, I, I, I would probably side with Thomas Aquinas over John Calvin on certain aspects of predestination. But here's the thing: like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna dis be, I'm not gonna disfellowship with brothers in Christ over that. I, some yeah. of my best friends are Calvinists. Some of my best friends, and I, lo- I, I love our conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sorry, best we, friends are Calvinists. We, yeah, <laughs> I have a I have a friend in in upstate New York. He's a pastor, and every time we get together, we have deep theological conversation and and mutual edification. But yeah, we'll, we'll argue about certain things and p- finer points of doctrine. Yeah, 
and it's and it's fine. We and you know we've been friends for 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 decades. You know, so so I just believe that again, if if we don't take what's going on in our in our culture uh, or in our society seriously, with the secularization of society, with the with the blatant um, you know over the 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 de-Christianization, the attempted de-Christianization of our of our nations and of yeah. our societies. If we don't take this stuff seriously, um, we're going to be arguing about our finer points of theology in concentration camps. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I just don't see how that's, you know what I'm saying? I, I think yeah. we need to meet Mordor. I think we need to meet Mordor. You know, we, we need to meet the, the orc army and, and, and focus and come to in, in a sense, come together to work together as brothers uh, in order to to really strive against the kingdom of darkness, and um, so yeah, that's and I'm not saying we need to compromise because no. I don't believe that. You know, I don't believe in compromising, but I just think that it, the the differences in comparison to each other uh, uh, should point us to the fact that there are bigger differences on the other side. There, mm-hmm. the the, the there's almost like a there's a difference of kind there's a difference of kind rather than what we're dif- what we argue about on the on the christian side is difference of degree and i wow. and there's a difference of kind over here and it's way bigger and way more formidable as an opponent and i just think that you know we're quarreling amongst ourselves in certain aspects and i'm not against arguing cuz i love arguing but quarreling, you know, I think Chesterton said that um, he objected to a quarrel because it always interrupted an argument. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, you know so what I'm saying? It's like when, yeah. So when 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 we're quarreling, you know, it's we're we're uh, we're we're not loving one another. Uh, there's a way to, you know, there's a there's a way to have an argument, and that's totally cool. But then there's, you know, it can it can devolve into a quarrel where people are calling say, saying you know traditional christians are saying that you know calling each other you know uh heretics or whatever and it's anathema. like do we yeah they're anathematizing each other yeah. and it's like okay 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 we are we've already done this we've already done this like this <laughs> yeah. was this this already took place you know in the 16th 17th and 18th century like it you know where did that get us? You know, so let, let's, yeah. let's, let's try to work here. Let's try to make this, this thing work. So that's kind of my attitude on that. Oh, no, I, I love it. I, I think it's great. Um, and, you know, I, I happen to be a Calvinist. I go to a Reformed Baptist church, but, you know, I was, um, I was introduced to Christ by a group of charismatics at Burning Man. So I'm the last person in the world to be able to, wow. and there, I, there's a whole story with that. Yeah. And so they cool. were running it. They had been running a ministry for 12 years and uh, they weren't being super overt about it. But me being the guy I am, I found my way into a, a, a place like that. And it is life-changing, obviously. So um, life-saving, let's put it that way. So, um, yeah. so I'm the last person in the world to be able to argue denominations. You know, like my, my, you might say my spiritual parents in a way are very different from the direction that I've gone, but that doesn't mean that I can disavow everything that they stand for. And I can see the value in, in what they believe. And, and, and that's kind of the spirit that I, that I, that I hope to bring, because I love what you said about it. It is very much the Lord of the Rings situation where it's like the, the elves and the dwarves and the men, you know, they all got it. And the, and the, um, 
and uh, Theoden the and the Rohirrim, the Hobbits. Yeah, they all got to oh, work yeah, it yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. And and they all got to yeah. figure. And 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 the Ents and occasionally, you know, the Eagles. Yeah, like they all yeah. got to figure. They all got to figure this out. <laughs> and they don't all have to like love each other and be best friends. By the end, they probably will be. But it's like you got to recognize <laughs> that we're all aligned in a war, and like you had said, and arguing over some of the f- quarreling over the finer points of theology because. So, sorry, some priest said something. It's like, sorry, my my priest said because you're not in my church, you're not saved. It's like, is that productive? Like, can we have a higher resolution discussion? Because I think we're stronger yeah. working together towards something than than yes. we are divided and arguing over something. I don't know what fifteen hundred years old. Yeah, and that goes both ways because John MacArthur yes. would John <laughs> MacArthur would would probably say the same thing. You know, yeah. John MacArthur would. I think he's friends with. Um, he was, he's like golfing buddies with Hank Hanegraaff, the Bible answer man. And yeah. Hank, uh, you know, Hank notoriously became Eastern Orthodox, you know, a few years ago. And John MacArthur was like, he's not, you know, I think he, he's, he was like questioning his Christianity. And this yeah. is Hank Hanegraaff. This is the Bible answer man who would never have changed probably a lot of his answers, like to, to the stuff that he was talking about. But Hank just, he became, he kind of the way he would probably put it is he probably matured into Eastern Orthodoxy and 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 became that. And it's like John MacArthur's like, well, you're not even a Christian anymore. But they're buddies, you know, yeah. like they're golfing buddies. And so it's like, it's like, okay, come on. Like, so it goes both, it kind of goes both ways. And and look, yeah. you know, it's I think, yeah, it's it's um, you know, we have to have, you know, Jesus said they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. So there's a point where, mm. um, you know, we love, which, which is not to, to have mushy feelings, but it's, it's really an act of the will that wants the good, that desires the good for a person. Mm. And I can, I think it's, <clears throat> I think it's loving to point out problems. I think it's loving to, and, and kind uh, to lead a person from error into truth. So I don't, I don't, I, I don't, I understand if someone genuinely thinks some of, uh, he has a brother in error, then he points that error out. But at the end of the day, he's still a brother. Even if he's a brother in error, he's still a brother. Mm, well said. Uh, uh, and, and I think that there's the, the point of, you know, whether he's a brother or not should be over a massive issues. It shouldn't be over, Hey, you know, um, you know, P- Paul, when Paul was confronting Peter uh, in Galatians 2, he didn't say that Peter wasn't a Christian. He was confronting a brother in error. And he says, Peter, you're wrong here. You're wrong here. And but he, it, it wasn't that Peter's salvation was on the line. Right. It was that it was that what Peter was doing was a double. He was it, it, there was a double standard. And there was there was a potential compromise to the gospel, and so Paul was like, "No, we cannot do this." Like, so he confronts Peter, and he and he, uh, you know, uh, corrects a brother, but he doesn't ever say, "You're not a Christian, Peter. You're not a Christian." Yeah. So we we just we need to we need to understand, you know, seeing things uh, proportionately, proportionately, and saying, "Look." You know, I'm not going to chop your head off just because you have a cold. You know, I'm not going to chop your head off just because, you know, you know, it's like, 
you know, pointing out the fact that a guy has a cold or, or COVID or whatever, uh, if COVID exists, you know, mm. does it really exist? Mm. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I don't want to get you banned, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. We're just getting warmed up here. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. But it's like, you know, some, just again, like so, sometimes, sometimes we need a scalpel, uh, mm. and what we're bringing is a battle act. You know, what we're bringing is a chainsaw. And it's mm. like, bro, like the, some of these issues, you know, they, they don't, they don't require that, that kind of, uh, that that kind of um tool and um so so i just think we need to be you know charitable in all things i think that's what saint augustine said he said in in um what did he say in in essentials uh unity in not essentials liberty but in all things love charity mm. so that guy was pretty smart anyway he's pretty smart he's a pretty, pretty smart guy pretty smart guy so, so, uh, so uh, this really sets the stage because I want to start talking about Mordor because I think that sets the spirit of of you know we're all gathered around the table now and there's the ring sitting there on the table and we have to we have to march that thing into Mordor and figure out how we're going to prosecute this war against the dechristianization of America and mm-hmm. uh, and which which in many cases has already infected different churches in different ways. So, because yes. I like what you said about. You know, there, there's a there's a way of looking at the situations like, well, it's denominational, and I don't know that it is. I think it's a difference between liberal versus traditional Christians, right? And that and that crosses denominational lines. So we have Mordor in the culture, and we have Mordor in the church, and we have Mordor mm-hmm. probably in our hearts and our minds, even though we don't necessarily always recognize it. And so now, mm-hmm. and this is what the Renaissance of of men is about. It's very much about that march on Mordor as men, as Christians, as mm-hmm. brothers, as men, as men and women. So let's start talking a little bit about that because I think it's kind of, even if you wanted, even if you wanted to hide under the largest rock you could find and say that like evil doesn't exist and I don't know what you're talking about, that's a conspiracy theory. I'm pretty sure that 2023 is on track to be like, yeah, no, you're going to need a bigger rock because, uh, you know, especially with this, <laughs> this, this Grammys thing that happened the other night, like, come on. Right. Um, so, so yeah. it, it's, it's unavoidable. Like you can, you really can't avoid, and it's in your face and it's flagrant. The Faisal Pfizer project Veritas thing, the Twitter files, like it's all just kind of out there in the open now. And so Mordor is like, Mordor's at the front door. So what are we as Christians going to do about it? Yeah. Totally. Um, I think that um, it's it's a situation that could resemble, uh, you know, the state of the church when Athanasius, uh, St. Athanasius was, you know, about uh, the, uh, I think it says that the, you know, uh, the world was Aryan. The, the Ath- Athanasius uh, discovered that the world in that point was Arian and he had to fight against Arianism. And um, I I forget the, all of the details of that story and I should know it. Uh, It's terrible that I, that I don't know it, but the, we'll edit um, it later. Make you sound. The phrase, (laughs) the the phrase that I'm going for is the uh, contramundum phrase that, that I think was, I'm not sure, but I think it was rumored to have been put on his grave stone. Uh, and the idea there is that uh, contramundum is Latin for against the world. Mm-hmm. And, <clears throat> and so he died uh, without seeing the promise of 
the uh, of Arianism being wiped out as a heresy within the church and within the the world. But um, you know, because we know that you know, the 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 early church fathers they were battling different heresies all all the time, and mm-hmm. and most of the creeds that that emerged emerged because of heresy. And so what would happen is there would be a guy who would deny a a truth that, that the church believed and the church fathers would be like, no, well, if you're, if you're denying this and it's spreading, then we have to answer that with a medicine. And the medicine was these creeds that would come out. And, and so they would, they would gather hundreds of theologians, hundreds of, of, of pastors and they would have a council and they would say, okay, look, you know, we got to answer this guy, Arius. He's, he's denying uh, an essential point on the nature of Christ and, or the dual nature of Christ that, uh, that Christ was divine. And so basically they're saying, we, you know, we're, we, we have to, we have to deal with this. So they, they form this, this council, they answer it uh, through the Nicene Creed, but Athanasius, who was a church father, fought against Arianism his entire life, and that was the fourth century. So he was fighting against this this heresy that had spread into you know the the, the highest uh, echelons of Roman society, where basically the whole Roman army was Arian, and then the entire imperial court was Arian. And the emperor himself was Arian. So you have the church, you know, fighting. It's, it's fighting against the government. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have the church fighting against the government. It is this hilarious situation because a lot of people think, well, you know, the church was in bed with the government, you know. No, the church was opposed to the government uh, for, for a, lot of, a lot of church history. And a guy like Athanasius, he just had to keep fighting. And that's, that's really the, I would say the, the number one thing is that we need to keep fighting. Mm-hmm. The number one thing is that we can't, um, you know, it's, it, it, your, your strength isn't tested uh, as it, it, without opposition. Your strength is tested with opposition. And so it's one thing to, to have, you know, uh, this kind of utopian idea that, oh, we're just going to get rid of all the heresies and we're going to get, and the world's just going to be amazing. And that's never been the case. And so the, the thing is that, you know, I w- the number one thing I would say is um, what, we dis- what we discover in church history, we have to apply to the present. And that is that we need to maintain our awareness. Uh, we need to maintain our uh, our vigilance. We need to maintain our strength. We need to always be fighting uh, spiritual warfare and recognize that what's going on is spiritual warfare. Amen. Uh, we could look. We could. It's number one spiritual warfare. This is yes. a religious. This is a religious battle. This is oh. a battle between between. Yes, there it's go. a battle. Be- <laughs> it's a battle between. Uh, the the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the wicked Trinity of the world, the flesh, and the devil, and we believe that that we win because we're on the winning side. We we believe that we are on the side of God, um, and we we we're on the side of of 
you know, righteousness and because we are on the side of, of, of God. But um, we need to recognize that what is going on is a spiritual warfare. And, and so we need to maintain that as the primary vision and the primary focus. And, 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 and I think that's got to grow. And I think it's going to reveal itself more and more um, be, as the days grow grimmer. Because, uh, you know, right now in political discussion, you know, for years, you couldn't, you couldn't talk about religion. You couldn't talk about religion. And I don't mean religion in the bad sense, right? I just mean, you couldn't talk about Christianity. You couldn't say, well, I'm a Christian. And now I think that the Overton window on that particular topic has been smashed. And we can now talk, I, I think we can now talk about our faith more than ever. And I talk about my faith uh, as uh, I believe, and we t- we talk about openly in Theos U, that we are Christian nationalists, mm-hmm. uh, my brother Same. and I. Yeah. So so Christian nationalism is is a, an idea of saying, no, we, this, we believe that our country is historically Christian, mm-hmm. and we want to conserve that Christian identity. And in fact, our Christian identity is our first identity, and it is our primary identity, and it is our ultimate identity. And so if you want to talk about identity politics, let's go, because I identify as a Christian before I identify as anything else. Yes. So, so that, and that's, what I, that's what I talk about. You know, with, with people, we, with c- certain conservatives, they're like, we need to get away from identity politics. I'm like, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I'm not getting away from identity politics, because my identity is rooted in Christ. And so yeah. I'm not going to vote. I'm not going to vote for a, a politician that's not a Christian. Not going to mm-hmm. vote for a politician that's not a Christian. I want to know if that politician knocks on my door, are they a Christian? Do they represent my Christian values? Because what's, what, what we, what's happened is we've said, you know, you can't talk about Christianity. You can't talk about religion. You, you can't mix religion and politics. Re- you know, Christianity is a sideshow. It's a sideshow and you can do that in your little church. But when it comes to the big boy stuff, you know, when it comes to the real world, Christianity has nothing to do with that. And I say, first of all, the founding fathers would all have disagreed with you because every single one of the founding fathers, every single one of the gentlemen who signed the Declaration of Independence or or, sorry, signed the, well, the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, uh, all of those gentlemen came from states with religion, cr- the Christian religion, uh, Christianity inscribed in the very constitution of each state. Eight of those 13 colonies had an established religion. Eight of those, and, and, and in some cases, and in many cases, you couldn't even run for office if you weren't a Christian. If you were an atheist, they didn't want you. Mm-hmm. If you were of another religion, they didn't want you. They would tolerate you, but you couldn't hold office. And so that was the founding fathers. There's a red pill on the founding fathers. And really the first the first amendment was was not made to disestablish the state Christian religions of each each particular colony or each particular state. The first amendment was to protect those states uh, and to protect the religious values of each one of those Christian values, Christian values of each state. And 
and and it protected them by by saying that Congress, federal Congress, shall make no law that that uh, disestablishes essentially, you know, or infringes on the 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 rights of Americans to to worship as they please. But it was it was it was mainly to protect the states that already had state religion uh, or Christianity on the books mm-hmm. and that identified as Christian. So that was the issue. It was it was to settle the the issue of you know uh, not taking sides a, on a federal level and allowing each state to have its own Christian you know uh, uh, expression within government. So mm-hmm. it so anyway, so the whole point is that we've been we've been told um you know no, you know Christianity is a sideshow and your faith has nothing to do with politics and that's total nonsense. And people that buy into that have been brainwashed. And basically you know they what they're doing is they are they are slowly cooking us in uh secular humanism. They're, they're, they're slowly, uh, uh, bit by bit, deconstructing, or as we talked about earlier, de- de-Christianizing America. And I'll tell you what, if the Founding Fathers knew that they would be doing that in 250 years, I, 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 I'll bet you they probably never would have signed the Constitution. <laughs> they probably, Not as it was. I mean, I mean they, they probably would have said, if this is the way the country's going to go when we do this. We're, you know, let's not do it. Let's not do it. Let's, let's just stay, what, you know, the way we are in our yeah. respective states. But it's like, because I do not believe that the founding fathers believed in secularism. They believed in a secular state, but they don't, I don't believe federal, that they a believed. Federal, go- secular federal government. A secular federal government. That's right. But I don't believe that they believed in secularism, which is now what has been indoctrinated into the into americans and <clears throat> anyway well i forget i forget kind of how we got onto that but yeah no i mean there's a lot of things first of all what comes up for me for that is that that's the difference between a book that's divinely inspired like the bible and a document that's not divinely inspired like the constitution right so yes. that's that's you know the constitution is not inf- infallible you know what i mean it's not yes. it's that's not what that's not its purpose but I think yes. there's so much happening in the United States right now, just like in terms of the Federal Reserve, like they didn't see that coming, you know, mm-hmm. like, so I, I think that how far away that the United States has gotten from the principles behind the founding principles, right? Yeah. You know, there's, there's the document yeah. and there's the principles that informed it and the principles that informed those principles. We're way yeah. off track for that. And, and I love yes. what you had to say about Christian nationalism, because I've been talking about I loved how you phrased it in terms of identity politics too. I'm going to use that because I've been talking about my <laughs> I, I've been talking about my identity hierarchy with people. It's like I identify because I'm in this in the masculinity space, right? I, yeah. I, I spend a lot of time, do a lot of work in there, and I have to explain yeah. to people like, look, I identify as a Christian first, a man second, and then like an American slash white person, depending on the conversation, like third or fourth. You know what I mean? But yes. Christians yes. first. Right. Yes. Like I'm not a man first and then a Christian it doesn't work that way. Right. And yeah. so I think once people begin to orient their identity hierarchy that way, you get to prioritize in that such a way. But that makes people very uncomfortable because a lot of people don't want to root their identity in Christ. They want to pretend that they can root it anywhere other than that. Like I can root it in evolution yes. or I can root it in, 
because I said so, right? And it's right. like, no, you, there's, right. no, there's no firm foundation there. Yes, I totally agree. The thing that gives ultimate meaning to our identity is Christ, mm-hmm. uh, Christianity. Christ uh, gives us our ultimate meaning. And, and we, because, you know, we, we have been born again, we have been given uh, uh, through faith in Christ a, a fuller understanding of what it means to be human. Mm-hmm. And so, so we are, and, and I would say that we are, obviously, we're talking about within the, the category of human, of human, the human species, right? Because we are, you know, on a biological level, we're human first. So, so there's that. Right. So, so, so we, do, we do have to understand that we are human first, but in terms of the ultimate identity as humans, we are Christian first. Christ comes first because he gives us our ultimate meaning as humans. And mm-hmm. without Christ being first in our ultimate identity, um, there's everything else is supposed to flow from that because you won't even know what it means to be human if you don't know Christ. And that's, that's right. the problem is the spirit of antichrist is a spirit that, it, that does not, that rebels and uh, 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 reacts against and uh, violently uh, so reacts against the, the, the identity that we have in Christ. Yeah. And so the, the, the spirit of Antichrist is, is we will define what it means to be human. We will define what it, and that's where you get transhumanism, trans this, trans that. It is a deep Antichrist spirit that is permeating our, our world and overtaking our, our you know, Western way of life. Uh, and it goes deeper than I think p- perhaps any other. Uh, ideology because it goes down to the root of our identity. And so Christianity will loom large in that battle. And that's why we do believe in the ultimate sense, the battle is between Christ and Antichrist. And so it's, it's between, it's between our identity as humans that is truly found in Christ, that is only found in Christ and our identity in, as humans that is found in antichrist and those two those two sides that's it's binary man that is yeah. the that is heaven versus hell and and that and so again uh i i just believe that we're entering into a phase of politics where it's no longer right versus left it's up versus down mm. it's up versus down it's it's a it's a and the reason why is because i think that right versus left is healthy i do i i think that it's good to dialogue. Like if you're in a room and you're spitballing an idea and you don't want everybody to agree, you want, you want there to be some open dialogue so that you say, well, what if we took, you know, what if we took the podcast and uh, we started pod- podcasting from an air balloon, you know, and somebody's <laughs> like, that's, that's a dumb idea. Honestly, I think, Will, I think it's just, it's kind <laughs> of, it's interesting. It's, it's out there. Maybe if we were in Portland, we would do it, but we're not. We're in Phoenix, you know, whatever. And- <laughs> we wouldn't have to worry about getting shot. We wouldn't have to get, worry about getting shot down in an air balloon. <laughs> exactly. That's that's a plus. That's a plus. Yeah, and yeah, you yeah. could you could say that. You could suggest that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but basically, 
you know, you want that back and forth, right? So you want, and I think that's what right and left historically was meant to do. Yeah. Uh, but it was, it's all based on the shared values that they had or the common, the common good that they shared uh, together. Well, there's no common good anymore because we don't share a common, we don't share a common religion. We don't share the ultimate common values anymore. So, so, so it's no longer an issue of right versus left. Um, it's an issue of up versus down. It's an issue of heaven versus hell. It's an issue of take, taking America and destroying it or taking America and baptizing it in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You know, like mm-hmm. that's, that's really the issue is the, the, Jesus said, go into all the world, Matthew 28, and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe the things I have commanded you. We're supposed to take the nations just as we take ourselves and baptize the nations in the sense that we are to, so, and that's where Christian nationalism comes from. It comes from the idea that God, Jesus wants nations. All nations have, have been, have been get, all power and all authority has been given to him. And we are to enter into his triumph. We are to en- enter into the triumph of Christ. If Christ is king, then he's Lord of everything. He's king of everything. And so what we, what we, our, our goal in evangelizing is to bring nations into alignment with Christ and, and to proclaim that Christ is king over our nations. And, you know, so, so <laughs> there's a lot we could talk about on that end of things, but mm-hmm. really what I'm, what I'm saying is I do think we've shifted um, from, as I said, left versus right to up versus down because uh, we, we, have a, we have one side that is godless yeah. and we have another Literally. side that be- – Literally godless. And this is, you know, I I said this, I forget where I said this, but uh, I think I said this online the other night that Solzhenitsyn, uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, he was a Russian uh, communist dissident. And he, you know, he went to uh, a Russian gulag and and found Christ and uh, became a Christian in this Russian gulag. But he said that um, the reason why uh, all of this happened in Russia, where you had millions and millions of people uh, being murdered and slaughtered, uh, millions and millions of people being displaced, the, you know, Russia being turned into a big you know, piece of concrete, ca- almost causing World War III, um, you know, inspiring other parts of the world to become communist. All of this took place, he, he says, because men had forgotten god it was Amen. it was god it was godlessness that's 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 what happened to russia it 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 turned into holy russia which was a historically christian nation uh eastern orthodox but historically christian in its identity and it went from that into unholy russia and where millions of people were slaughtered you know uh and and all kinds of wickedness was taking place. And it's all because men had forgotten God. And so now what you see, you know, and again, I don't want to get into geopolitics too much right now, but, but now, now what you see in Russia is the, the resurgence of Christianity 
Now, some people might might say, well, it's only you know aesthetic and stuff. Look, the the point is is that you know there's Russia has built ten thousand churches in the last you know twenty five years. So it's like we're talking about Christ being at least in a in a basic sense being offered once again to the people in 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 some way shape or form at least it's Christ is not being suppressed as as Christ was was once suppressed the Nicene Creed is being you know declared as the Nicene Creed was not allowed to be recited and and you know communism was er- erasing Christianity and persecuting Christians so the whole point is regardless of you know again these these details of denominational difference i just believe that you know after communism these eastern nations all these soviet nations former soviet nations even hungary and poland and other nations they're going back to christianity because that's that is what gave those nations life in the first place and so um and I think that we are going to understand that as our heritage as well, uh, that our heritage, our life was always rooted in Christ. And so Christian, the idea of Christian nationalism is that it's a, it's a, it's a desire to return to uh, God uh, and that our hope is in God. Our hope isn't in Donald Trump. Our hope isn't in Ron DeSantis. Our hope isn't in any political leader or political program, or policy, or ideology. Our hope is in Christ and Christ alone. And so with that exaltation of Christ, you know, to a, to a degree, I think we could even get to the point where we could correct the founding fathers, <laughs> you know, and say, and say, uh, you know, oh no, I understand. <laughs> oh no, oh no. But it's like the founding fathers had a, had a huge political vision but they had a very small religious or Christian vision mm-hmm. and particularly on a federal level on a federal. And I understand, again, I qualified it earlier by saying they were trying to protect their, their, their respective Christian states, but. And they were coming from monarchy, right? Yes. Yes, exactly. So the Republican idea, you know, it's, 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 it was a different, it was, you're right. It's a, it was a difference of political vision there. But still, um, I think that America needs to become more Christian, not less mm-hmm. Christian. Yeah. So, you know, so I'm I'm interested in moving the ball down the Christian down the field towards the the goal of 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 be, becoming more and more Christian as a culture, yeah. uh, uh, more and more Christian officially. You know, as I said earlier, like I, I honestly, I'm at the point right now where I would not vote for a politician who is not a Christian. Wouldn't vote for him if he comes to my door and says, "Hey, you know, support me." I, I, I don't, I, I don't, I'm not going to support someone who who doesn't share, who's just going to perpetuate the problem, because the problem is fundamentally uh, uh, God versus godlessness. Mm-hmm. The, the the problem is fundamentally recognizing uh uh the 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 authority of god uh or just recognizing the authority of the government and when 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 you don't recognize the authority of god officially and and uh, uh substantially 
what happens in a, in a political environment is what always happens in a political environment. The government becomes God. Mm-hmm. Once, you, once you get rid of the God, the government becomes the God. And people, because people will worship the most powerful thing in the world. Yeah. And they, they, they worship power, right? They worship money. They worship the things of the world. When you remove God, um, the enemy wins. Because re- remember, it's a, it's a spiritual battle of the Holy Trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit versus the unholy Trinity of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And the world, the flesh, and the devil win when we don't exalt the Holy Trinity. When we don't exalt Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the unholy Trinity wins. So I'm, I, I'm not interested, you know, as Donald Trump says, I want to win. I want to win. <laughs> Yeah. No. Anyway, but it, no. but our hope isn't in our hope isn't in Donald Trump. Our hope has to be in Christ. And the more a politician that that places himself as a messiah is a dangerous politician. Mm-hmm. Or a who po- gets placed pol- there? Or he gets placed there. But I'm just saying, it's like a politician who says, "No, no, no, no. I want everyone to know I'm a Christian first, and I'm and as as a president, I'm going to be a Christian president." And I'm going to rule as a Christian president. What does that mean? It means that I recognize Christ as my authority, as, as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that I bow my knee as a politician, as a ruler, I bow my knee to Christ. And yes, I'm here to represent the will of the people, but we have to uh, understand that, that, you know, our hope is not in man. And that's the perennial problem of politics that we place our hope in man and not in God. And so Christian nationalism, in my opinion, in a healthy way, is, re- is correcting that, that problem of where we place our, our ultimate hope and, and uh, you know, our saving, you know, where we look to, to be saved by and, who, and, and, and where we, who we look to for our salvation as a nation, as a people, as a society. I absolutely agree. And, and I run into this all the time with um, guys who seem to believe in various ways that there is a political solution. Oh, we just need to get the right guy in office. And, and you know, this also shows up in terms of their, uh, in terms of start out talking about the attractional, attractional church and evangelism and all that. And I think all these things are connected where it's like yeah. guys are looking for any way, any opportunity to not confront others with their faith for whatever reason. They're not secure in it. They don't want to ruffle feathers. They don't want to hurt feelings. They don't want to preach repentance. They want people to belong. All these kind of things prevent yeah. men from speaking up on behalf of the gospel, you know, right. which, which, which is, and, and so they're hoping, well, I don't have to actually speak up about my faith. I can keep it private and I'll vote for the next political guy. And you know, we got the right guy in office. It's all good. It's like, no, 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 sorry. We're in a spiritual war. <laughs> like yes. this is, this is a, this is a holy war. This is not like we're going to form a truce, like light or dark up or down is going to win. And, yes, and like, exactly. you, like maybe we're five, maybe you and I are like five years ahead of the dialogue, maybe but like you run the, <laughs> I mean, really like you run the numbers. It's not hard to figure out. And what I tell people is like, look, you know, I've, I talk very openly about Christ because I'm putting my flag on the, on the furthest possible hill. And I'm planting it there right now. So that yes. five years from now, when you're all going to start talking about Christ, like I done been here. Right. And now let's yes. actually, cause I can, I've built on this place and, but a yes. lot of men, they don't get this. They don't understand it. Yes. I don't understand why. Maybe you understand why or have an idea, 
Well, I think part of it is, again, what what our political philosophy has taught us. Uh, and I think it's really, unfortunately, been a half truth because mm. I do believe that I believe in our um, in, in the rights of man. I do believe that God, you know, the, Indi- the, the Declaration of Independence was uh was written properly i don't believe that you know that was that was written improperly in the sense that um our creator god has given us inalienable rights of life and liberty uh you know the pursuit of happiness is a little bit too enlightenment for me i would probably say (laughs) you know (laughs) i would probably say the so here i am correcting correcting the the declaration of independence i would actually really i i well i would refer to Honestly, if someone wants to do the research, they can. The first Continental Congress in 1775, uh, I believe, met in Philadelphia. It was in 1774, but it met in Philadelphia, and it and it uh, it in the articles uh, in their preamble, I believe, it said that men are uh, endowed with immutable rights, and the rights that were listed were life, liberty, and not the pursuit of happiness but property, property life, yeah. liberty, and property. And that's where I think in the fifth, I think it's the fifth amendment. You, you get no, you know, you won't be, um, uh, no one will be deprived of due process. Um, you know, or, or no one will be deprived of life, liberty, and property without due process. And so basically the, even the constitution in that sense refers to life, liberty, and property. Um, and, and so I think that's just a healthier, uh, perspective. However, getting back to what I was trying to say is that the, I think we've been sold a little bit, um, uh, we, we've been sold a half, uh, truth when, uh, we talk about the rights of man, because I do not believe that the rights of man exists, uh, uh, primarily, uh, uh, without first understanding the rights of God. Mm. God, God has rights. If, if men have rights, God has rights even more. Wow. And I think that, I think, I think this is, this is the problem that, that I, unfortunately a guy like Thomas Jefferson was too unchristian himself uh, to really realize that God has rights. And, uh, the rights of men, yes, come from God, but God has rights, and His rights are prior to the rights of man. And mm-hmm. so, uh, why? Because He is the Creator of man; He is the giver of rights. And so, it, what we what we need to go back to is a proper, a uh, truer, uh, a, a more uh, integrous uh, or integrated political philosophy a political philosophy that first recognizes the rights of God over the state. And so that I think would, 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 what we, what we would do in that sense is start from a true first principle, uh, the first principle of all principles, which is God. And, and then in the Christian context, God is father, son, and Holy spirit. And so the triune God. And so we start as a Christian nation with Christian revelation, not just of God uh, in kind of a Romans one type way, but we also we also start with as a Chris, as Christians the rights of God, uh, who is who is who has revealed Himself 
in human history as Christ or, or, or as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but, uh, but Christ being the second person of the, of the tr- Holy Trinity, incarnating himself and becoming King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And this is the term that the, the scriptures use for Christ, that Christ, you know, Philippians chapter two, he is, God has, ex- the Father has exalted Christ. Um, uh, Colossians chapter one, you know, the, these are passages of incredibly, incredible uh, and beautiful and unique uh, language for Christ, um, exalting Christ over the nations and exalting Christ as king over all the nations. And so if a nation is composed of Christians, those Christians should recognize the right of Christ over their nation. The right of Christ as king, uh, the right of Christ as God over their nation. Because Christ is God, right? Second yeah. person of the, of the Trinity. So, um, so the point is simply that, yes, you know, th- this is, this is where I believe an integrated political philosophy would truly begin. And I think this is where we could correct the, the founding fathers um, and, and really work towards a, Christ, a, a re-Christianization of America um, on a political level. And, and that, would, that would properly order America and bring America into alignment with the will and the purpose of God. So, you know, um, now, now there, there's, there's the, the difficulty there aside from the difficulty there aside from dealing with the woke, you know, anti-Christ, anti-Christ mm. mob, uh, anti-Christ spirit, uh, ru- uh, ruling us right now is the issue of, of how to properly, um, deal with that in, in terms of Protestantism, because, you know, that, that, but, but even that being an issue, you know, a future issue, that's still a good problem to have. You know, it's a problem, but it's still a good problem to have because, you know, Protestantism, uh, (laughs) likes to protest. And so, so in, Mm -hmm. in that, in that, uh, question of how do we go about it as Christians, you know, recognizing that we come from different places, um, that could be more of more of a uh, an obstacle, or not more of an obstacle, but an obstacle. Um, certainly not more of an obstacle than the obstacle that we face right now of mm-hmm. of you know going you know delving into depravity. So, but anyway, I forget how we got onto that. Uh, I don't know that it matters, but um, okay. the <laughs> the. Uh, the the phrase the rights of God over the state has got to be the most based thing I've heard in a long time. Like that's <laughs> for real. Like I love that. I'm gonna be thinking, I'm gonna be thinking very hard about that because because you're right. A lot and, and the way that a lot of people don't want to say, God has no rights over me, you know. Well, God, and and the notion and some people believe that. I don't I don't happen to agree with them, but um, yeah. but they believe that and it's like, okay, you have fun with that. But I think that there's this idea that God has no rights over the state. And that's just that's just false, and that leads us in this direction. And and I yes. think the reason why people want to believe it's false is that that idea makes them very very uncomfortable. And one of the and one of the books that I wanted to highlight that I've been reading that I love is Libido Dominandi by Professor E. Michael Jones. 
And, oh, uh, base, you know the, base. You know, talk to, talk about, dude. He's so he is <laughs> wild. He's wild. That man, he's wild. I honestly, I love E. e. Michael Jones. I'm just going to say it for the record. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Yeah. And this book, he wrote this book in 2000, and what he talks about is how sexual liberation was actually the wrecking ball and wrecking crew that was used to demolish any notion of Western traditional values doting back to the French Revolution. And he picks, and yeah. the way that the book unfolds is he, he looks at various characters of history, um, yes. you know, whose names we know and don't know, and, and, and shows how they were propagating these sexual liberation and they were all depraved individuals, but that their yeah. influence you know, was used to just smash away at the Christian values that, that drove primarily through, through sex and sexuality that drove the country forward. And so what we're living in, in is essentially this, this wrecking ball that was taken to our culture primarily through the vector of, of sex and sexuality until, yes. you know, and, until by depraved people, until there was really, there was really nothing left. And, and, and I think this ties in ironically to, or not ironically at all, to this notion of you can't tell me what to do with my body. It's my body, right? This radical yes. individualism. In the same way, like, yes. you can't tell my government what to do, God's like, well, as a matter of fact, I have something I'd like to say about that. <laughs> it, it, precisely. I totally agree. Have you had uh, Dr. Uh, Jones on the program? That's funny you should ask. I did. And, and um, <laughs> what? Uh, what happened? It just it didn't was, work out? I, no, it was... It was great. We, it was just, it was, it was the week after my, my most popular podcast of all time. And okay. the podcast was absolutely like just blew up. And some of the things he, Michael Jones said, I was like, hmm, maybe, maybe, maybe not right yeah. now. Welcome yeah, to the podcast. Right, right. Maybe not right now. Maybe, maybe not, not right now. now. So, yeah. So, yeah, totally. It's, yeah, it's yeah. an Overton, it's an Overton window thing. I think again, um, certain, there's no, no, no Overton but, window at all. Well, the thing is, is that, there, there is, there, are, there, there are scriptural. If we're going to talk about what the Bible yeah, says, yeah. If we're going to be, if we're, if we're going to be men of the Word, mm. we need to go to the Word, and we mm. need to look at the passages, and we need to look at, look at, look at the commentary of the church fathers, or look at the commentary of 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 men, theologians in church history who've who've looked at those same passages, and look at the commentary and look at what they've said. You know, and, and so, so the, the issue 9, is 10, 11. Yes. What did St. John Chrysostom say about these issues? What did St. Augustine say about these issues? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and what you'll find is even, even, uh, uh, you know, the church fathers, even St. Antioch, our St. Ignatius of Antioch, this is a guy writing, this is a guy writing, uh, you know, in, in like the year, like a hundred, you know, like he knew the apostle John, he knew, uh, uh, guys who who knew the the apostles you know so basically this guy is writing and he's 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 talking about judaizing and he's like he's like you know if you read what he he writes it's very very severe and it would be considered anti-semitic according Mm -hmm. to our definition right and so look so the bottom line is look i'm not gonna get into all that but just it's a whole thing, but the Bible is the Bible. And I'm, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to, I'm not going to read the, you know, I'm not going to turn into a, a kind of a buffet Bible teacher yeah, where I no. only talk about, I only talk about the, the Bible verses that make me comfortable and that don't challenge the, 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 uh, the current 
um, you know, zeitgeist and the, the, the mood that we're in or, you know, not talking about certain issues. Uh, I'm sorry. You know, like I, I, and I've said this before that, you know, Romans one, the Gentiles are sinful. Romans two, the Jews are sinful, mm-hmm. you know, and Paul, Paul, yeah. chief of sinners, right? Yes. So, so, but nobody wants to say that people want to say, Oh no, the Jews are the chosen people, the chosen people. Are they the chosen people? Anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll I don't want to get into it. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to, I'm just going to, I'm going to put something down the table and then we're just, we're just going to walk, oh, okay. we're going to acknowledge it and then we're going to walk away from it. Look, but, you're the one that brought up E. Michael Jones. Okay. You're right. I did. Mea culpa. Mea culpa. Okay. <laughs> we're going to, but what I'm going to put on the table is, is that yeah. I was actually, I grew up Jewish and I was, and I was bar mitzvah in the whole thing. So, oh, so really? now I'm, yeah, so now now I'm now I'm Christian Calvinist and, and everything. So yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yes, exactly. I mean, look, it's not it's Paul the apostle. The entire early church was Jewish. The entire thing. Mm-hmm. You know, Paul Peter stands up in Acts chapter 2 and he's on the day of uh, of of Pentecost, which was a Jewish feast. And Jews from all over the world were there uh and celebrating. And he's and he preaches the gospel to the Jews, mm-hmm. and the Jews form the first church. So yeah. you know, so so it's it's not an issue of anti-Semitism. It's an issue of the fact that the gospel doesn't change that that the gospel doesn't change for the for the hearer, and that when Jesus died, the veil was torn. Mm-hmm. When oh. Jesus when Jesus died. The veil of the temple was torn. What does that mean? That means it's over. The over. the the old the old the old is is gone. This the, the the new is here. Christ is the fulfillment of the law. He's the fulfillment of of the 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 the, the temple. He is the temple. The church mm-hmm. is the temple. The church is the new temple of God. And so now we we so mm. so in in that sense. You know, this is the whole point of the New Testament, that Christ fulfills all of the promises and that now we have, we are, Peter says, First Peter chapter two, you know, verse nine, I think you are, and he uses the same language from Ezekiel 19. You are a chosen, a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation unto God. He uses the same language. That is now substantially in not the shadow of type and symbolism in in the Old Testament, but in the reality of Jesus Christ. This is and this is really, I think, what Paul was trying to get at when he was dealing with Judaizers, right? When he was right when he was writing Galatians, I think he was really trying to to communicate that all of those things were were were, were shadows. They were. They were shadows cast by the statue, by the by the uh, image of Christ. And now that we now that the Messiah has come, we don't seek a Messiah anymore. You know, so and so and so we are to pray. We are to pray for the conversion of the Jewish people, and we are not to convert or we are not to persecute the Jewish people, but we are to pray for the conversion and and to the Jew first, right? To the Jew first, then to the Greek. So the idea is there. There is a, 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 a an order of importance, 
because yes, the, the Jews were given a privileged place. Um, mm-hmm. and they, they were given promises, but those, uh, but again, those promises were fulfilled. So anyway, um, those covenants, so that's were, whole, those covenants were broken a few times too. And those covenants, yeah, exactly. But, they, but yeah. now we, we have now a new covenant. We have a new yeah. covenant that, that God has made. And by giving us a new covenant, the old covenant is revoked. The old covenant is over. And so that's the whole meaning of new and old. You know, the new, you don't put new wine in old wineskins. You put new wine in new wineskins. And so anyway, this is, you know, we need more teaching on this. We need more teaching on this, but uh, because this is all Bible, right? But um, yes, Dr. Dr. Jones talking about the sexual revolution um because i think you were you were kind of pivoting into yeah. the sexual revolution and how it's affected us yeah the idea the idea that you can't tell me what to do with my body you can't tell me what to do with my government god right okay yes so th- this is fascinating because i think it comes from a false understanding uh of liberty uh, a, a, a demonic, you know, a, a satanic, a worldly understanding of liberty. Liberty is not the right to do whatever you want. Liberty is the right to do what you ought according to the natural law, which is the law of God, which is, which is the, the, which is connected to the eternal law of God, which is connected to the divine law. And so. Wow. Wow. So that's that, so you know when I when someone gives me a license you know to drive that is liberty I now have the liberty to drive but I don't have the liberty to drive into oncoming traffic <laughs> right and I don't and I don't have the liberty to drive on the sidewalk and I don't have the liberty to even roll through a stop sign <laughs> right. I've done that yeah exactly how many times have you you know i've gotten pulled over for rolling through a stop sign before and it is the stupidest thing of all time you know um but it's like <laughs> it's like i don't like i have to abide by the rules even if the rules are you know like super you know dumb and and pedantic and uh the point is simply that <laughs> how do you really feel about rolling don't get me started dude <laughs> So no, so it's basically one of those things where we we do not we have been we again we've been sold a false philosophy of freedom and what what the meaning of freedom is. And yeah. uh it's detached from God. It's detached from the understanding that that only comes through uh an understanding of God and or the meaning that only comes through the understanding of God. And so people, when you ask the average person, what is freedom? And in this, honestly, this goes for conservatives, because I know conservatives who would say, you know, under the, the, the uh, title of libertarianism, they would say, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a libertarian conservative and, and I just, I don't mind, people can do whatever they want on their own property. And I'm like, no, they can't. <laughs> no, they can't. You cannot act in a way that is not in alignment with the law of God. And this is partly where, why conservatives, um, why conservatives uh, in many cases supported um, laws that struck down the, 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 uh, the laws that struck down anti-sodomy laws 
or laws that struck mm. down uh, birth control laws. And, you know, because they would say, well, you know, I'm a libertarian and I think that, that you know, the government has no place in the bedroom. What does that even mean? I mean, the government, you're basically telling, saying that the government has no place to order the life of the citizen. Well, then why even have a government? Why not just turn this place into a big, giant anarchist zoo? Which is, mm -hmm. guess what? Exactly what it's turning into. <laughs> so the yeah. libertarians are getting, they're getting their wish. You know, what we're seeing before us is really the fulfillment of the libertarian philosophy that has dominated conservatism for for at least post World War II, since World War II, um, but 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 no, that people didn't, you know, the the old way of thinking about these issues, the traditional way of thinking about these issues, was that um, God is is you know the the arbiter of right and wrong, and of of rights and wrongs, and you do not have the right to do what's wrong. According to mm. a, according to a, a the natural law and according to divine law and God has established the natural law as the uh, the the true uh, moral order of the universe and we are to conform our lives to the natural law. Now this is also a Christian perspective of the natural law, right? But 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 the natural law is is uh was understood by guys like Aristotle. And so in the Nicomachean Ethics, you know, he would have written about the natural law. Um and the natural law is communicated to us through the conscience, where we can understand, oh yeah, there's a law in my mind that is at war with the law of my members. Or, you know, I the, Paul says in in uh, Romans chapter one, the uh the 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 pagan does uh, obeys the law without having the law and what is what does paul mm -hmm. mean in Ro in romans chapter 2 when he says that that the pagan obeys the law without having the law um paul is saying that the jew was given the divine law but the 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 pagan was not given the divine law all the pagan was given was a conscience that could see a moral law within the universe that things were supposed to be a certain way. And so he, by perceiving according to his conscience, uh, he could detect the natural law. Whereas the Jew, the Jewish people were given a positive natural law. They were, it was spelled out for them. It was said, you know, Yahweh comes, comes and says, here, let me make it super plain and super easy for you to understand. You know, there are some stone tablets. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, it's really, there's 10 of them. It's not that hard, you know. It's not complicated. Um, it's not that complicated. So, so basically, we have a false understanding of liberty. And that false uh, philosophy of liberty, political philosophy of liberty, has seeped into the body politic and seeped into our, our culture and really... Uh, turned us loose uh, with a number of of things. Particularly, I would say uh, it's erupted with the sexual revolution. And yeah. Dr. Jones was absolutely right to put his finger on uh, the sexual revolution. He's pointing in that book, I believe, to 
uh, the fact that the sexual revolution was a form of political control, which, mm-hmm. which according to his thesis does work, uh, because it is, it, it, sexuality does, uh, it's kind of like bread and circuses, you know, it, it, it does cause, um, it's an appeal to the lower nature of man. It's, a, it's an appeal to his, his a- animal appetite, which is irrational. You know, that, that, that's why, that's why sexuality is, sexuality needs to be sanctified because it is an appetite that is animalistic and it needs to be, uh, properly reigned and ruled by reason. And mm-hmm. what has, what has taken place. And, you know, this, what happened in the fall of man was that the lower appetite you know, re- began to rebel against the, the higher appetite of, of the mind, which is the image of God. And so now the, we were not being ruled according to the image of God in us, but now we were being ruled by our, our base instincts, uh, which is where you get murder and, you know, all of the, and adultery and stealing and, and uh, lying and uh, covetousness and things like that from. But the sexual revolution, um, in a sense, is the greatest revolution because it goes down to the to the, the the very animal basis of mankind and it kind of unleashes this this irrational appetite and so so basically everything becomes sexualized everything becomes sexualized children become sexualized because it's irrational and 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 that's why you know, sex has been likened unto in the book of proverbs a fire. Can a man take fire in his bosom and not be burned? I think that's Proverbs chapter seven. And the idea is that, no, you are dealing with fire and fire belongs in a fireplace. If you Mm. take fire, if you take fire out of the fireplace, it burns your house down. And so fire needs to be, and and that's why marriage was created for the fire. Marriage Marriage is a fireplace. It is a foundation that is solid and unchangeable, uh, and according to what I believe, indissoluble. Really, um, mm. because what what God has joined together, let let no man separate. And so God fuses this fireplace, uh, and so and out of that fireplace, life can can be uh, nurtured. And what's happened is we've seen the destruction of marriage, the destruction of the true nature of sexuality, and now the fire is consuming the house mm-hmm. and and turning the house into hell. And yeah. so, and so, yes. So we we you know we need to completely reverse <laughs> all of the legislation. We need to completely reverse everything, all the damage that's been done, um, and we need to rebuild. And we need to take back uh, what has been, you know, uh, what has been stolen from us in our Christian heritage. But it starts with a proper Christian uh, philosophy of liberty, that liberty, liberty exists to do what you ought to do. Just as having a license, a driving license, uh, exists to drive on the road and to obey the laws of the road. 
uh, there is a moral road. There is a moral uh, order to the universe, and that it and it is rooted in the logos. It is rooted mm. in the the in the Word made flesh. It is rooted in Christ Jesus, and so it is an antichrist spirit. Again, an antichrist spirit that wants to rebel and revolt against the logos. And so it is, it is an antichrist spirit that we're dealing with. And, uh, the antichrist spirit says, uh, no, I will not, you know, have fire in the fireplace. I will allow fire to, to consume everywhere, uh, everything I want. And I, and you can't tell me what to do with this fire. And, Mm -hmm. and that is, and that is self-destruction. And so, um, and, and so what we're witnessing right now is, is, uh, a culture of pride, no pun intended, <laughs> and pun intended, or, and pun intended, or pun, yeah, intended, or pun Intent- yeah, pun definitely intended. I'm intending Intent that pun. pun. <laughs> <laughs> we are, we are, we are witnessing a culture of pride, um, and pride, as we know, goes before the fall. And I, I love. I think Chesterton says that pride always has a mark of doom upon its forehead, but it's really the 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 mark of the beast it's the mark of the beast because it's rooted in anti reason anti logos anti christ and uh anti order anti order god is not a god of confusion but a god of order and so he orders the universe and he works these things uh uh he, he wants us to align ourselves and our lives with his order as though musicians are playing the notes that they're meant to be playing. But when we don't play the note that we're meant to play, we're, we're, we're playing something else. We're out of order and we're ruining the, the, the just order that God has ordained in the universe. And so, uh, and so what's happening is we are witnessing the, uh, the pride of our anti-Christ spirit causing self-destruction because i do not believe that when a man breaks the law of god he breaks the law of god i do not believe that the law of god can be broken when we break the law of god what we do is we break ourselves the only thing that is broken by breaking the law is your own soul we we break ourselves we harm ourselves we self-harm. Every single time we sin, we, we harm our souls. And that goes for the individual man and the collective corporate body of men uh, in a nation. And so we are witnessing the suicide of our, uh, uh, and self-destruction of our nation. That is really what is at stake. It is a choice of, between life and death. It is a choice between Christ and Antichrist it is, it is, and it is taking place um, because we are choosing in our pride to distort reality instead of accept in humility the reality that exists. You know, and, and so, you know, God, uh, James says, and I love it, he says, God resists the proud, but he draws close to the humble. He, what is, what is, what is the verse that I'm, uh, he God, um, he he draws. Yeah, he gives grace to the humble. 
but he resists the proud. Listen, listen to the, listen to that verbiage. He gives grace to the humble. It's grace that saves us. Mm -hmm. I'm not saved by my work. I'm saved by the grace of God, his favor, unmerited. But, but there is a humility that postures itself in repentance, you see, because repentance is an act of humility. Repentance is saying, you know, through the symbols of sackcloth and ash saying, Lord, you know, have mercy upon me. You know, the, the, the tax collector versus the Pharisee, right? The tax collector is beating his breast and he's saying, uh, uh, have mercy upon me. I can't even lift my head to heaven because I'm so overwhelmed by my sin. That tax collector is in a state of humility. Whereas mm -hmm. the, the Pharisee is saying, I'm, you know, thank, thank, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like this loser, you know? Right. And it's like, it's, it's like, so, so God gives, God resists the proud. He actively resists the proud, but then he actively gives grace to the humble. Not, and, and, and again, it's, it's not that we're earning anything by our humility, but we're positioning ourselves for his mercy. We're, we're, we're throwing ourselves on the mercy of God. We're saying, Lord, Lord, please be merciful to me. It's, it's not an issue of justice that he be merciful to us. It's simply an act of mercy that he be merciful. <laughs> mm -hmm. I will be merciful to who I will be merciful to, as Romans mm -hmm. chapter 9 says. I mean, this is where I turned into a Calvinist. Um, <laughs> it's an I'm act of his it sovereignty. My eyes. Yeah. It's an act of sovereignty. I'm a Calvinist. You know, no, Hallelujah, but, <laughs> we did it. <laughs> we did Thanks, it, everybody. Gates Calvinist. <laughs> we did it. It only took two yeah. hours. But, but it is the sovereignty of God that, that causes uh, his, his grace to come to us. But we can still position ourselves for, for, to receive his grace by humility. And, uh, and so in that sense, repentance is really removing the obstacles of sin so that we can it, simply uh, very similar to uh, uh, removing the um, blinders on a window so that the light of God can shine in. So it's not that we earn that light. That mm -hmm. light is, is shining, but we can put blinders on the windows of our heart. And so repentance says, no, I, I'm, I'm, removing these, I'm removing these sins and I'm exposing them. And I'm saying, Lord, have mercy upon me. So what, that's the, that is our, what, the posture that our, our nation needs to take as, as opposed to the pride um, that is destroying it. And again, the mark of pride being uh, also deeply connected to the sexual revolution, because it is a, a revolution of pride and arrogance and, and hubris uh, saying that we can do whatever we want. Think about mm -hmm. that. You know, it's, it's rooted in, its, in this ultimate sense of we can do whatever we want. We are even the Lord of life and death. We can murder babies. We can yeah. kill children. We have the power of life and death. And it really is that, that real because, because the abortion movement is, uh, they, they are, they have no scruples about killing a child up until birth. They, I mean, they would say, well, that's after. an extreme case. And even after, yes, yes, they have, they'll, they'll lay the baby, you know, in a botched abortion or whatever. They'll lay the baby down and leave it, let it rot. It's, it's all about killing the thing inside of themselves killing the life inside of themselves. And I just, so yes, so we are, we're witnessing cultural suicide. 
And it's the people of God that need to rise up in this moment and say, you know, no, we want to live. We choose life. We are, we are not going to follow the culture over or follow society, the culture of, culture of death over the, the, the cliff. We're going to step back and we are going to repent. And so I, I believe there's a real repentance that needs to take place where, you know, these, what we saw with Roe v. Wade, thank you, Jesus. But what we saw with Roe v. Wade being overturned, what does this repentance look like? Because that's what that's the next question. The most practical question is, okay, Gabe, what does what does repentance look like? Repentance looks like what what just happened with Roe v. Wade, the overturning of the laws that were evil to begin with. We need to yeah. go back to every single law that we have overturned, that every single law that we have that that we have uh, created an opportunity for for evil to exist. Uh, or we have we have created laws of uh, positive evil, and we need to overturn those laws. We need to go back and overturn every single law that exalts itself above the law of God, that that is antichrist, that goes against the the moral o- order of uh, God, and that is the kind of repentance, uh, politically at least, that needs to take place. But Gabe. It's a, we're in a democracy. This is a democracy. <laughs> right? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I suppose it, it is a democracy. Uh, you know, I don't know what to say to that. You know, it's, you are it's, a threat to our democracy, sir. Perhaps, perhaps I'm a revolution. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'm a revolutionary yeah. because I agree. I, I, I think that the gospel is a revolution. It's the gospel yeah. is an eternal, the gospel is an eternal revolution. And I believe that um, it's it's uh, not just the gospel that makes me a revolutionary, but it's also the fact that to be a conservative is also to be a revolutionary because uh, I think Chesterton puts it beautifully in his book Orthodoxy, where he says that if you want to maintain a white fence, you have to keep painting it white. Mm. In other mm-hmm. words, you have to you have to keep having a revolution of in other you have to revolt against the dirt. You have to revolt against the decay. You have to revolt against the thing that's changing that white fence into a black fence, into a dark fence, into a mm-hmm. fence that is that is that is a uh, accruing corrosion that is corroding and um, accruing dirt and and things like that. You have to keep going back to that white fence. And painting it white all, again every you know five years or ten years or whatever you have to have. You, in other words, you have to at, it, at this point to be a true conservative is to be politically revolutionary. And you know what? That's that's really the 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 uh, I think in an ultimate sense the problem is that we we all of the revolutionaries are on the left. All of the revolutionaries are on yeah. the other side. Why are all the revolutionaries? Are the, on the other side, wanting all the all the people that are actively uh, uh, trying to uh, do something politically are are actively trying to destroy the white fence that w- that we've inherited from our forefathers. You know, I can th- answer we need that. To- okay, please, please answer. 
Yeah, because because like because they're not uh, they're not ashamed to proclaim their hatred for God. Now they don't yes. phrase it that way. They use yeah. phrases like white supremacy, which is what that means, right? And yeah. racism, and they yeah. they're not afraid to proclaim their they proclaim their hatred for God. But Christian yeah. men are afraid to proclaim their love for God. Yeah, I said it. Yes. Right. And that's the, yes. and so it's like when you have another side that has fully drawn their sword or their sledgehammers and is going to, in full hatred for everything good, beautiful, and virtuous, has no problem, no shame at all, shamelessly in destroying something that's beautiful. And you have yeah. a whole bunch of men and, and who may be eaten up by secret sin that are like, ah, oh, no, that's, that's, don't, don't do that. No, stop. No, yeah. stop. Right. And yes. so it's yes. like, no, draw your sword and get into battle and proclaim yes. the glory of Christ exactly. for humanity. And, and yes. there are so many, uh, you know, I, I, I pick on men in this situation, but I think it's true of women too, because there's, there's, you know, we can talk about the sin of feminism, which I would like to get into, because I think it's a big theme of all of this as well, which I'm particularly yeah. passionate in talking about. But I think yes. that there's, there's a real hesitation to proclaim, proclaim love for God for a thousand reasons, you know, like maybe, and I say it's because of um, people are afraid to wit, to risk wealth, status, and security. Like real courage is, mm-hmm. is risking the things that our ego prizes, our ego yes. prizes wealth, status, and security. So people are right. afraid to risk their wealth, status, and security, and there's nothing more risky to wealth, status, and security if you read the gospel, then proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ, right? That's just yes. how it goes. And I think, right. I think you know, they, they, the other side has no problem proclaiming hatred. By all means, right. we hate everything, right? But everyone yes. else is afraid, like, I don't want to lose what I've got. I've got this nice little thing. It's like, well, sorry, you know, mortar's going to come and they're going to burn the shire. So what are you going to do about that, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. I agree. There's, um, unfortunately, I think it's it's a little bit of a, unforeseen uh, complication in a capitalist society. You know, we live in a capitalist society and I'll say that on a, on a economic level, um, I, I, I think that all things come under, under the moral authority of God, even capitalism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I, I, so I believe it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and everything is under the authority uh, of god democracy <laughs> like government capitalism bring, everything I'm super everything. into it i'm interested in i'm interested in a christian everything christian um, economy christian, christian, christian economy. nationalism christian economy, economy absolutely yeah, 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 absolutely yeah, yeah. why not it's all the lord it's all and as a yeah. famous calvinist oh. uh a famous calvinist uh abraham kuyper i think he was the the prime minister or the president of um, the netherlands or something he once said every, you know, there's not one inch of this one square inch of this world that, that Christ does not proclaim mine over. That's right. And so God is, God is, is again, we have to get this notion out of our heads that Christ, that there are segments of life and society um, that have moral importance, uh, but, but also that God has no place in that, that God takes a uh, a back seat to no god is in is driving the the car on every issue as it pertains to faith and morals god mm-hmm. cares and i'm not ta- i'm not you know i don't want to get too you know because 
you can go the other way and say, like, you know, which candy bar should I buy today, God? You know, like which <laughs> ice cream, which ice cream should I eat today, God? You know, which which one is your will? Oh Lord, tell me. You know, it's like, no, God doesn't care. The big questions. About, yeah, exactly. Uh I'm pretty sure God's into mint chocolate chip ice cream. Just saying. Uh, but chocolate chip cookie he, dough. No. Chocolate Sectarianism chip rears its ugly head. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you dirty Calvinist. This conversation's so, over. <laughs> so basically Exactly. Yeah. So so basically, you know, as it pertains to faith and morals, um, God is in in charge of all of those issues, and and Jesus talks about money, and when he talks about money, he says you cannot serve both uh, uh, man. Uh, you cannot serve two masters. You you mm-hmm. must uh, uh, obey the one and, and and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and Mammon. You cannot serve mm-hmm. both God and money. So capitalism, where you know, again, I'm not critiquing the entire thing and throwing the entire thing out, baby, baby with the bathwater, because I do believe in property, and I believe that private property um, is good, and God's given mm-hmm. us private property as as He's given us, as He's given us our bodies. Our bodies are are our own, uh, certainly, and the boots that we wear are our own, and and the clothing that we wear. Uh, is our own. And if it wasn't that way, he wouldn't have given us a commandment against theft. If property rights didn't exist, then he wouldn't have said, Hey, don't steal what's not yours. Um, and, mm-hmm. and also don't, and, and also the, 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 uh, the ninth commandment, or is it the 10th? Th- don't covet your neighbor's goods. I think it's the 10th. Mm-hmm. And so, <clears throat> so the idea here is that, um, we, we are to, uh, have property and private property, but uh, unfortunately in the era of capitalism, we've seen the worship of property and the worship of, of, of money, uh, which is, you know, the kind of token of property. And we've, we've seen that turn into, um, this idolization of, of, uh, materialism. And basically, that's kind of where I think your comment was going, that basically people are so inebriated and intoxicated with material possessions that it's made us, it's given us a sort of dragon sickness, to use Tolkien again. You know, Mm. it's it's given us a sort of um, lethargy uh, that we have been dulled by our <clears throat> by the overstimulation of our senses, and 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 also we've we're we're we've placed our trust, as the scriptures say, we've placed we've placed our trust in the um, in the insecurity of riches. Um, we've we've essentially said this, you know, this is really you know, as long as the price of gas is fine. I'm okay with Biden, you know, like as long as the price, as long as it doesn't affect the price of gas, then, you know, like if you want a real political revolution, let's, you know, mess with the gas tank. You know, it's like, dude, like, like seriously, like children are going to drag shows and we're concerned about the price of gas a few cents. And that's really what, what gets our ire, you know? Um, 
so we've been we we've been you know lulled to sleep to a degree uh because capitalism has increased our material comfort but the problem there is that slaves can be very comfortable mm. slaves can be wonderfully comfortable um my cat is wonderfully comfortable <laughs> mm-hmm. but i i my cat is a you know an animal that i control and our dogs are very much comfortable but at the end of the day it's a dog and you're what's happening is we are we are using a metric of of comfort and creature comfort in order to prove that all is right with the world and it's that's false because slavery can take place you can still be a slave and be comfortable in mm-hmm. fact it's in fact it's it's almost the ideal form of slavery to make sure that your slaves are well fed and well dressed and well mm-hmm. taken care of i mean i spoil my cat she's got food every single day she's got toys to play with she's got you know uh everything she her little cat heart wants and and we and we and are are we are all of our animals experience that same thing and we're being treated like animals we are being given all these creature comforts but just don't don't uh act act independent of of mm-hmm. your your masters and that is again i think a warning for us because we're turning i think it's it's quite easy for us to turn into a slave state um very similar to that dystopian novel um written by uh, Aldous Huxley called uh Brave New World where people want the slavery where they accept the slavery where they they and really we're a slave to our passions in our in our society yeah. and and that's again in in line with Dr. Jones's thesis that sexual liberation is political control because we're in, we're given all of this, you know, basically it's like work, work nine to five. Uh, and you know, be, you know, you're, you're basically a slave nine to five. And then between, you know, when you're not at work, you can have sex with any, anybody you want and all this pleasure. So it's, it's, it's Mm -hmm. this kind of like, you know, you just, the, the, the home is now a hive and the home is now Mm. treated as, as essentially it's not about the family because the family, the family would actually give you independence and we don't want you to have independence. We don't want you to have uh, any sense of the ability to make your own uh, way in life. We want you to be completely dependent upon our society. And so we encourage people to abort their children, use birth control, never get married, live as roommates with each other, and, uh, and, and then switch out the roommate. If the roommate situation isn't working, you know, it's like college, you know, it's, you, you don't like your roommate, get a new one, you know? Yeah. And, and so the sexual, the sexual relationship is sterile, which for slaves, it, it, it had to be sterile as well. Slaves were not allowed historically to have their own, mm. their own families and family life. So there, there was a sterility involved in their own sexual relationships, 
And, 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 and when they did have children, their children would be slaves as well. So, so everybody's a slave. But the point is simply that this idea of servility and having a servile state, um, I think that is the, really the, the, the end game. The end game is to get us back into a, a state of slavery, which again is anti-Christ. It's anti-Christian. It's the spirit of anti-Christ because Christ liberates us. Christ starts with the liberation of the soul. You know, he who, he who the sun sets free is free indeed. And he, Christ sets us free first and foremost in our soul, in our uh, spirit, in our, in our inner man, liberated from a life of sin, uh, liberated from the, the judgment and the guilt of sin, uh, liberated to live in, in, and walk in, in the freedom of, of righteousness. But then that freedom does affect not just the inner man, but the, but the, the external man that, yeah. that eventually, because Christianity is a religion of freedom, we taught we, our freedom, even though it starts in the soul or in the spirit, it eventually trans translates into the body. And that's why you see the transformation in the Roman empire from the Roman empire. I mean, every single, and this is what people forget. Every single civilization outside of Christian civilization has always had slavery. Every single civilization. Slavery was the basic economic model, if you will, of every single civilization outside of Christian civilization. And, it, and so even the Roman civilization, which is a very high uh, civilization, the Romans had slaves. And right. you'll see slavery de- you know, being dealt with in scriptures. Paul trying to navigate the slave-master the slave relationship and so, you know, you'll have slaves that become Christians and then you'll have masters and slaves that become Christians. So how do that how does that work and what's the relationship there? And so Paul is writing to, you know, deal with that. But over time, you see in the transformation of society, uh as Christianity began to grow and grow and grow, uh, the Roman, the old Roman civilization dies and and basically the civilization goes through a death in the dark ages beginning around the time of saint augustine and then ending at around you know probably the the 11th century and then what emerges out of the 11th century is not slavery the old roman society was dead but the new christian society of the middle ages or the medieval times there were no slaves in that sense uh, in the Roman sense, in mid- in medieval Europe, the the old Roman slave was transformed into a serf and then into a peasant. And the peasants owned their own land and they worked their own land. And that's where you be. That's where the European heritage of owning of going of you know the Europeans would come into America and they'd be like, oh wow, I get to own four acres. This is amazing. You know, mm-hmm. and so that's where you go into middle America and it's all farmers that are many, many of them, most of them European heritage. They come yeah. over and they're like, this is, this is, this is heaven. I get to own my own land. I get to own, uh, chickens and cows and I get to, you know, uh, uh, do, you know, like work this land as a farmer. And 
that is so deep in the psyche of of even you know european modern european people um because christianity changed the old roman pagan society and transformed it into a society of free men and so that that change in the middle in the medieval medieval era was a significant change economically but what we're what we're seeing now is a return back to slavery mm. we're, we're 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 seeing a a transition and i think that the transition goes like this it goes it goes like co- capitalism then communism as a, as an antidote to to capitalism and then slavery which is which Feudalism. is the, which is exactly the end game i think of communism the end game of communism is a slave society, a slave state. And it doesn't matter really how it comes about, even, even in how I've ordered the progress there. But <clears throat> you can see, you know, in the guys who were very prophetic, uh, you know, unknowingly, uh, like George Orwell writing 1984 or Aldous Huxley writing um, the dystopian, you know, all of our dystopian literature really boils down to this idea that people will be controlled by overlords and they will be controlled by government and they will be told what to do. And Aldous Huxley had more of a, a, a perspective that people would want to be controlled because they were given all these, bri- they were being bribed into becoming slaves, much like you see in the welfare state. If you look at the welfare state, the welfare state in America is a bribe to be a slave. The, the the Democrat, mm-hmm. yeah. their whole their whole basis, you know, is the party of the poor. And how do they help the poor? By by keeping them poor. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, yeah. By by perpetually by perpetually breaking up families by rewarding people for for having single parent homes. The Democrats mm-hmm. reward you with money with with subsidies with the dole with ebt cards with all with with housing and instead of houses but housing mm. and 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 you know you know a wasteland of of uh, of buildings that are brutalist and, and horrible where poor people are living in them and and they're living in them perpetually generation after generation after generation you know and that's where the ghetto came from that's where the that's where um, the, the, the projects came from. Yeah. These, pro- these were democratic projects. And this is why Democrats have such a stranglehold over modern cities, because they, they, it's, it's partially to do with this, this really uh, this practical policy of servility, turning people into slaves of the state. And turning, how do they do it? They do it through bribery. They say, we're going to make, we're going to give, hey, hey, your little boy wants, you know, Air Jordans. We'll give you enough money so that he can, he can go to school in Air Jordans. You know, we'll give you enough money so that he can play video games, but, and you'll have food on the table, but you'll never own your own property or your own home. You'll never be financially independent. You'll never form a proper family. You'll never have, and then they, these kids grow up and they get involved in gangs and, and all this other stuff, but it's, it's it's slavery it's it's yeah. and it's a it's a slave state it's a servile sorry it's a servile mindset 
Um, so I, anyway, you know, again, it's ultimately, again, it's antichrist because Christ wants freedom. And so, uh, so, so Christ wants us to walk in freedom and that means financial freedom. That means yeah. that, that means having financial freedom, being financially independent. Um, and, and really, you know, so, so a critique of capitalism in that sense, you know, might be that capitalism kind of, it, it doesn't give us the financial freedom that we really need. Um, it, it kind of, it, it kind of pushes us along, um, in a way that, that, that it gives us the opportunity to, to, to amass wealth, uh, to a degree. But it it's it it doesn't make the experience of financial freedom a common thing. So that that's one of my critiques of capitalism. Um, anyway, I'm 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 kind of going off on this. Hi everyone, I'm going to take a break from my usual produced mid roll ad and just talk for a second about my upcoming seminar on February 27th at 5 p.m. Pacific, called Exiting the New Age. During the seminar, I hope to do a bunch of things. First of all, I'll talk through my 20 years of experience in the New Age, which isn't something that I've really discussed in detail before. From there, I'm going to talk about what the New Age is, where it came from, a bit of background, some of the names you've probably heard of, but most importantly, some of the names you haven't heard of, and some of the shocking things they've had to say. And then I'm going to break down how the New Age takes shape in practice. So it's not going to be a discussion about theory. It's going to be painting the picture of why the New Age produces the results it does in men and women. And hopefully with those three things put together, you'll be able to see what a formidable force and what a danger the New Age is to Western culture, to men, women, and relationships, and exactly what Christianity has to say in response. Because part of the program is also going to be talking about the Christian story. And I hope that during the seminar, I will show you that the New Age was actually designed and implemented directly to strike against the heart of what Christianity tries to teach men and women about ourselves and about the world, which is why, as I hope you'll also see, the New Age is not new. It's actually quite old, but it's been picked up, dusted off, polished, and repackaged for our modern consumerist era. And in the process, slipped under the radar of at least two or three generations of people, so much so that now we kind of take it for granted. It's almost the default global religion, and that's not an accident. That's how it was able to snare me for a good 20 years of my life. And of course, I'm very grateful to God for calling me out of that phase of my life, and now I'm very happy to be able to share what I know to people who are looking for a way out, hence the name Exiting the New Age, as well as for Christians who perhaps are new believers, or even experienced apologists trying to understand this world that they're probably going to be meeting many refugees from in the very near future. Also, just in closing, after the presentation, I'll be doing a Q&A, and I'm happy to stay on the call with people as long as it takes to answer every question, because I've given a lot of thought to these issues, trying to understand what it was that I experienced and translate those experiences into my new understanding of the world. So in a very real sense, this seminar is the product of 30 years of my life, and I'm very excited to share it all with you coming up soon.
Once again, the seminar will be on the evening of Monday, February 27th at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. Expect the presentation to last about an hour or 90 minutes, followed by the Q&A. And to find out more, you can go to renovmen.com exit, or you can hit the link in the show notes and go straight to the Eventbrite page. For those of you listening, enter the code podcast to take 15% off your ticket. Thanks so much, and I really hope to see you on Monday the 27th. No, we we got into it, and I think this is I think this is really important for people to understand that you know there are many different facets of our world right now, um, capitalism, sexuality, whatever you know. Yeah. Um, because we started talking about E. Michael Jones about how you know they're not necessarily bad in and of themselves, but when you mm-hmm. when you when you unmoor them from Christian values, yes. Like when you take when you remove Christ from capitalism, you get crony capitalism. And when you get yep. crony capitalism, you get all the leftists getting all mad. Look at all the exploitation. We need to be communists. And then you yeah. start the slow slide, right? Yes. And yes. so it's this problem. It's a Hegelian problem, reaction, solution thing. And we see it everywhere because, because you could just as easily say, um, you know, God, uh, God wants us to be prosperous. And then bang, you slide right into prosperity gospel too, right? Yes. And yes. So, yeah, right? Yeah. Yes. And, and which is, like they're, they're, which is, a- go ahead. Well, that's a further complication of of the capitalist framework in mindset that people have. Yeah. It's like, well, if you know, if if you're if God really loves you, and 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 if you're really walking righteously, you're going to be a millionaire. You know, it's like, yeah. are you cr- are you crazy? You know, th- this right. is this is this is not what the church t- has taught. This is not what the Bible teaches. Um, Paul never said to the to the slaves that he was writing to, you know, you're going to be a millionaire one day. You know, it's like. Paul was writing this slave. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah. Uh, t- now you have the right to tell your master that you're walking in financial freedom and you're, you're no longer his slave anymore. You name know, and claim just it. Name and claim name it. And claim it. <laughs> yeah. Just when he tells you to do something, just, you know, blow it off, you know, yeah. because you're, because uh, it's, it's God's will and it's his bill. So you can blab it and grab it. Um, <laughs> but it's like, dude, yeah. The, the insanity of that is connected to, I think a, a capitalistic mindset um again materialism materialism this which which is perpetuated with the capitalist um idea that as long as like typically people defend capitalism with the, with the idea that well we have all of these goods we have all of these things and it, so what they're doing is they're pointing to material things materialism Right. And they're saying, well, because we because we're experiencing this material prosperity, things are amazing. But mm-hmm. the truth is, is that things are not amazing. I mean, if there's one thing in life that is blatantly obvious to anybody with any sort of uh, hindsight, it's that money doesn't solve problems. Money doesn't solve problems in, in the sense that like real problems, like right. problems of, of character. Money can oh, solve yeah. them. It makes them worse. It makes them worse. Money doesn't solve the deepest problems of our life. And so what, is that, what does that mean? It means that like, we can't be looking to capitalism and the, 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 the financial, uh, the, the, the prosperity that, we, that, we, uh, that takes place materially under capitalism. We can't look at that as a sign that, we're, that 
things are getting better and that everything we, you know, everything is, is amazing because of capitalism. Um, no, because under the age and epoch and power of capitalism, we've also seen horrible atrocities take place in, uh, in our world. And, and we, we're still dealing with all types of godlessness under the age of capitalism. So it's like a rich family and they're like, well, we're just, you know, our son is suicidal, but we're just going to give him another boat. <laughs> you know, you know no, this one will work. Yeah, this boat, this boat will save his life. No, what's what's he's gonna he's gonna destroy he's gonna shipwreck the boat and probably die in the process. You know, because there's a fundamental problem with us that is not that is not connected to material things, and um, and this is why the scripture talks about the deceitfulness of riches. And uh, and warns us not to put our trust in riches, and so we have to we have to look at capitalism with a proper um, level headed scrutiny, and not become fascinated with the with the the materialism that that and the gold that glitters, you know, because that's really what happens is, you know, we we become stupid because we become obsessed with riches, and riches make people. You know, money makes people dumb. Mm-hmm. Very quickly, and, and yeah, and it's and it and the more we experience of it, the more the dumber we get as a society. So capitalism, ultimately, in a sense, has made us dumb because we're just we're like, oh well, but we have 4K televisions and we have, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we have Netflix and we we and we got the internet and we got all we have iPhones. And it's like, oh man, this is incredible. But, but, but it's made us dumb to the fact that we are like that rich family, you know, that, that thinks that money will solve all their problems. We are, we are disintegrating, you know, we're, we're, we're killing ourselves with opioids. We're, we're killing ourselves with other drugs. We're killing our, ourselves with, um, sexual, you know, immorality. We're, we're killing ourselves in, in, a, in a thousand different ways. and money. Is it solving our problems? Yeah. What does it profit? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? And this is so. This is really the 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 emphasis here is that we can be deceived by riches, and that's what the scripture tells us. It, it tells us not to put our trust in the deceitfulness of, of riches, and um, and so so. A proper understanding, in my opinion, of, of Christian economics is that small is beautiful and that, and that it, we don't need massive amounts of things and that in, in order to be happy. And we, we don't need to emphasize uh, profit above everything else. Um, we don't need to uh, worship uh, at the, at the, uh, altar of the free market. Um, we don't need to do deals with China. We don't need to gut the entire uh, manufacturing industry in America, uh, in, in middle America, so that we can have more stuff from the marketplace. Sometimes, sometimes it's better to just say, we can do without 25 different kinds of shampoo. 
<laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. like, like that. That's not freedom. Yeah. And because it, the cost is that it's costing us our, our, our national sovereignty. It's turning us into slaves. It's turning, it's, it's costing us, it's, it's causing us to be grafted into a globalist system and where we're losing national sovereignty. And that's slavery. That, that is, that is not freedom. And so, but it, and it's all because of money. It's all because of money. Follow the money. Globalism is really a money making operation and its power comes from the power of the purse where, where if you have enough money, you can, you can make, you can, you know, make or break, uh, a, uh, a political opponent and, or a political person, you know? So right now I, I, I kind of think that we, we part, part of the problem is, is that we are living in a, uh, what the ancients probably would call a plutocracy where money mm-hmm. power, money power is the, the power that causes, um, all things to, to work together for, for evil. <laughs> and, and, mm-hmm. and again, so when we're talking about globalism and versus nationalism, I, I just say that on a, on an economic level, you know, if we stopped worshiping money and we stopped worshiping material things, we would probably have a saner position on, uh, on, on free trade, on, on the, the global marketplace. And we would probably have a saner position that would lead us to maybe a smaller economy. Uh, maybe, uh, uh, you know, the made in America would come back and it, and it would come back in a, in a way that causes us to suffer, uh, by not having 25,000 different types of shampoo, (laughs) you know, you know, but it's like, how many different types of shampoo do you need? You don't, it's, so it's, it's, it's like, again, I don't need any. (laughs) oh <laughs> uh, well this is a toupee so i mean really uh, i don't even need you know it's, conv- it's very convincing <laughs> <laughs> anyway no but but i know but i i know i know that you're i know you're right like we're talking about a deconsumerization like we don't need to deindustrialize, right like i think a lot of people will talk about that or that's happening in various forced ways but a deconsumerization of our society and and just to pull the thread all the way back out to where we started we started talking about this because um i asserted that men were afraid to speak up in defense of their christian faith against the leftists who hate god because they're afraid of losing their material prosperity and so it's the worship it's the worship of money that's preventing them. And, and it, it may not be overt worship. They may not have a statue set up to mammon, you know, in their yeah. living room, but yeah. you know, it's like, who are you serving? It's True. like, well, if they're serving, they're serving the antichrist spirit harder than you're serving Christ, exactly. you know, because, because they are not worried about what they have to lose. Right. Exactly. So, so that's, that's how we kind of got here. Um, yes. That, and, that, yeah. Go ahead. No, that comfort has, has lulled those men and women to sleep. Um, it has caused them to become sedated in their mm-hmm. political activism, because we were talking about the why you know why it's to to be a conservative, a true conservative, is to actually be a revolutionary. 
and yes. why the revolutionaries, why the people who who would die for their for their beliefs are all on the other side. Well, mm-hmm. they're on the other side because they they are at least sincerely um, in a state of revolt against what they deem to be uh, wrong. Now, you know, they have a, a jadist, jaded and jaundiced view of right and wrong, and they call evil good and good evil. But still, they are, they are in revolt against a particular thing that they, that they hate. Well, we should be in revolt against a particular thing that we hate as well. And as we are in revolt, we should be revolutionaries. That's, that's mm. the whole point of a revolutionary. So I am a moral revolutionary because I say marriage is between one man and one woman for life. Uh, uh, I'm a moral. Yeah, exactly. I'm a Jesus freak, which is so funny. Yeah. I'm a Jesus freak because I want, uh, I think that children, you know, uh, should not be adopted by gay people and groomed. Uh. And groomed their entire life to be homosexuals themselves. So yeah, or that story was LGBT. so disastrous. No, but it's like I'm I'm a I'm a Jesus freak because I think that sex, uh, you know, should be for uh, making children, uh, and and that you know, like I, I'm a Jesus freak because I believe in these very ordinary moral positions. Right. Um. But but I am a moral revolutionary in the sense that I am revolting against the uh, antithesis of what I'm teaching and, and what I believe. So I am a moral revolutionary. And as, as my morality uh, informs my political views and my, uh, my belief in, in God and my belief in the Christian worldview informs my political views, I'm a political revolutionary in mm-hmm. the sense, in, 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 in not in a seditious way, but in a ordered way. Um, and, and, but in an activist way, and we need to begin to look at ourselves in this way that we are in revolt. I am in revolt against the sexual revolution. I am in revolt against immorality. I, uh, and, 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 you know, uh, depravity in my society. I am in revolt against anti, the, the spirit of antichrist and antichrist uh, activity in my in my nation and in my society. I'm in revolt against anti-American, uh, uh, you know, uh, activity in terms of as it pertains to anti-Christian American activity um, or the historic Christian nation of America. So this is what it means to be a revolutionary, and to be a conservative is to be a revolutionary in this day and age. Um, and the thing that w- that many times yes the the thing that many times uh sedates that revolt or mitigates the effectiveness of that revolt is money and wealth and the cost jesus said if a man wants to follow follow me he must uh count the cost just as a king would not go into battle without counting the cost so a man cannot Follow me without counting the cost. You have to count the cost. And yep. and some people, they count the cost and then they're like, no, this is too expensive. <laughs> too high. It's yeah. too high. It's too high. And so that's, I get it. But, but at the same time, I, I kind of feel like 
it's because we've bought into this notion that everything will be okay as long as I still have material possessions, as long mm-hmm. as as long as I still have um, this th- this fruit of capitalism that causes me to have 25,000 different shampoos, everything's going to be all right. And it's just, it's a, it's a illusion. It's a delusion because what you see now is that the stores that have those things are getting robbed in broad daylight and nobody's doing anything. You know, it's it's based in San Francisco. They can't, they can't even do anything. So you have this, this, this basically like (laughs) this trust in that civilization is getting better and this savage barbarism of, of like, you know, jungle rules at the same time meeting together in a complete, you know, contradiction of society. And it's like, no, this can't coexist forever. At some point, right. something's got to give. And, yeah. and really, it's pointing in the direction of the, the barbarism and the savagery winning. And so, so anyway, yeah, I just, um, I, th- I, th- I think you're right that, that people are sedated by, or they are hypnotized by wealth and it causes them to become apathetic and lethargic because, you know, they have all these things. And as long as they have all these things, let the world burn. And it's like, dude. That is that is that is playing you know it's playing violin on the on the Titanic while it's going mm-hmm. down, right? Right. You gotta you gotta go a little bit harder than that. And and you know uh, the reason why I wanted to get into that is you know we've covered kind of Mordor and we've covered you know the ways that people are hypnotized by their wealth and and the comfort. And you have a really unique way of going about fighting this battle, like with with humor. And with incis- incisive wit, and and mm. and I don't know how much time you have left, but I, you know, I wouldn't be able to free of myself if we didn't get a chance to at least talk yeah. about, you know, about the the expert use of memes that are just the best part of my Instagram to kind of like provoke people to be thinking about these things. Mm-hmm. And so I definitely, I definitely wanted to get into that as well because sure. yes, we can look at the the barbarism colliding with the orderly society, and we can look at up versus down, left versus right. And we can look at, you know, um, the attractional church and, and, you know, and, and all these different, and all these different trends. And it's like, well, okay. So how does a man choose to show up and fight that battle? What are, what are the gifts started out, um, by saying, what did you say? Making a return on God's investment. Like what were the gifts that you're bringing forth? And I think there's a real gift in there in the things, in the things that you do that, that make you expert at fighting this battle in your own way. So I definitely wanted to get into talking about all that, <laughs> if only just for me. Yeah, I suppose I'm a bit of a mercenary. Uh, you know, <laughs> when, in the culture war, I don't really know where I fit in uh, in the army of the Lord, but I do think that I've 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 had some fun with it, and um, and uh you know i'm a bit of a i'm a bit of a sniper i suppose you know uh just kind of picking off certain targets with humor and and things like that or or just different uh different things that i'm that i that i like to get in get involved with i do think that um humor is underrated 
because humor, particularly satire, has a wonderful quality of being a surprise attack. People mm. are not expecting you <laughs> to destroy their <laughs> their worldview and their perspective and their foolishness uh, by laughing. That, they're not expecting that. That's and so in that sense, laughter is a bit of an uppercut, and it and it shows it shows their foolishness and exposes their foolishness because it's because laughter is contagious and um, instinctive, <laughs> and it really you know when you laugh at something, you're like you're genuinely like. You can't, sometimes you just can't help yourself because it's funny. That's why you're laughing. You're not laughing because you've gone through a series of uh, <laughs> mental calisthenics that, or, or you've, you've gone through a series of, you know, disputations in order to prove that it's worth laughing at. You just, <laughs> That's you how just, reformers laugh. I suppose. Yeah, exactly. It's probably why they don't laugh enough. Yeah. But it's. I have to, I have to exegete it. <laughs> Hold on, hold on. They're like holding their laugh. They're like, okay, hold on. We got to examine this before we laugh at it. <laughs> exactly. No, but it's it's really you know the opposite of <laughs> the opposite of funny isn't um, isn't uh, serious. The opposite of funny is just unfunny. And so it's like mm. if if something's funny, you're going to laugh at it. You're going to you know, you're going to kind of give yourself over to it. And then by giving yourself over to it, because it's funny, you're going to, which is an innocent thing. Um, but, but by doing it, you're going to then perhaps take a step back and say, all right, is there some truth there? Particularly mm -hmm. if it's satire, because satire is rooted in, it's not, satire is different than, um, than than normal comedy because it's it's uh, it's rooted in making um, something. It's rooted in parody, and it's it's making something uh, that is it's making a, a a moral point about a at a particular issue, um, <clears throat> but doing so as I said, in a, in, in an indirect way. And I think that's actually a, a good thing because so much of our attack is direct. Like, you know, like, what do you think about this? Oh, I think it's garbage, direct attack. You know, it's like, what do you think about this? Yeah. Oh, this is, this is, you know, vomit. Perfect. You know, it's like, like <laughs> we just go through, we go through all of these, like, uh, these social issues and we're just so direct that, yeah that it's almost to be expected. It's almost to be expected. Like, oh, okay. So this, okay. We've heard this before. Heard this. And then when it's direct, sometimes people can just shut it off because it's so direct that it becomes kind of a monotone um, uh, or predictable um, strategy. You know, it's like, oh, you know, how, how is, how is general Gabe going to, uh, you know, attack our army. Well, he's going to attack in the front because he always attacks in the front. You know, he's never mm -hmm. going to flank us. He's never going to come from the side and, and, and flank us where we don't see 
because he always likes to go right for the front. And it's just, it's, it's on a, on a level of culture war, it's just, it's not strategic, you know? And I think that humor um, is a part of strategy in surprise attack, in, in uh, attacking in an indirect way, because it is attacking when, when I make a joke, when I make a meme uh, on woke Jesus uh, or, or wherever, or wherever, if I'm on my, or woke Mary or on my personal account, if I'm making a meme on something and making fun of something, that is an indirect way of attacking it. And, and it's, as I said, it's a surprise attack. And sometimes it's as effective as an uppercut. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's as, as, an, as effective as an uppercut because people are just, whoa, blown away. They're like, whoa, okay, you know what? He's got a point there. He made me laugh. Now I'm thinking about it. And there's something, there's something there. If there wasn't something there, I probably wouldn't be laughing. And so, so that's that. I think we just we, we could we could do a better job, perhaps, at um, mocking the gods, the false gods of Baal, you know, like the prophet Elijah. Um, we could do it. We could do a better job, just at, at perhaps being a little bit more satirical and showing people that that humor is actually not uh, uh, something to be claimed by hell, but something to be claimed by heaven. That God, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh, as Psalm chapter two says. And um, and he laughs because he holds his enemies in derision. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, God is God is a God of laughter. I mean, you know, laughter is a part of 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 our um experience because laughter comes partly comes from joy. Really, mm-hmm. when you have joy, you have laughter. And um it's the effect of joy, I think, but the, the point and, and, and joy comes from happiness, but really it's like this, yeah, this, this idea of, uh, satire being a form of culture, uh, being a, a, a weapon in the culture war, I think is very effective and wonderful. And I, and I think that, uh, it's, it's highly effective when it's properly done. Do I do I always do it properly? No, I, I don't think I do. I, I I'm an amateur. I'm an amateur at, at most of the things that I do. Um, but probably actually all of the things that I do, I'm an amateur at. So, and so I don't uh, have any claim of you know being uh, you know some sort of uh, gift to humanity when it comes to satire. But I I, I do love satire. I like laughing. I like comedies. Um, and, you know, and, and using that as a, uh, using whatever form of wit I have to, uh, you know, help, uh, destroy, hopefully some, some of the arguments that are, uh, so, so absurd that they need to be lapped at. Um, and really, I think at this, at this point, it's like our society is so, um, it's so, it, it, it's, you don't need to almost like the, 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 you don't need to write the joke because the joke just writes itself. Yeah. Our society is so, it's such a clown world 
um, that it all you do all you have to do is really just use the you know use the the content that's already been created for you <laughs> by the people that you're trying to uh, mock and or by the situation that you're trying to mock and or laugh at <clears throat> and expose and then you just you know put that in the meme and and that's it with the right with the right ingredients um it's per- it's perfect you know it it just it works with the right ingredients so um so it's very it's actually very simple you know for me i find to and easy to make the memes that uh that i make because there's such a uh an incredible amount of material to mm. to to work from well that's that's kind of why i want to want to talk talk to you about this because i'm i'm sort of like uh meme meme retarded like I, I don't know that i have the ability <laughs> to think to think in that way like i think that there's just a way there's a mindset for the kind of person who's really excellent at making and making memes and i've tried to do it before and i haven't been terribly yeah. successful um, I, yeah. I, I did it. I was inspired to make one after we, after we booked this podcast, which I was pretty, which okay. I was pretty happy about. So maybe I was absorbing nice. some of it by osmosis, but mm-hmm. so it sounds like you put yourself nice. in, in the mindset of, of satirizing bad ideas. And like, does it just, does it come to, cause I do believe that, that making a good meme is actually its own unique novel art form, right? I think that there isn't, I think that there is an art to it. Maybe, maybe sometimes more art than science may some, maybe sometimes, you know, it's maybe not the same as working on an oil painting or a marble statue, yeah. But you know, there there is yeah. a there there is something to it. I mean, how does these memes yes. they come to you? Like, what, is it inspiring, <laughs> or you just you sit and figure it out? Do you go through drafts? Like, <laughs> help, let me into the the mind the mind of an edge lord. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, the mind of an edge lord is 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 pretty simple. It's just uh, it's it's basically uh, an inverted orc mind. You know, just <laughs> scorched. Scorched earth policy at all times. I would say um, in terms of the, in terms of how a meme uh, is generated or thought of, I, okay. So yeah, there is an art to it. Um, And, and it's, it's rooted in the imagination as all art is. So there is a level of imagining you know <laughs> what it would be like what it would be like if this was uh taken in a different way or you know there's a little bit of storytelling that you're i suppose that you're you're doing in your own mind and you're ba- basically saying okay like imagining like if jesus was having a conversation if woke if jesus was woke and having a conversation with a young woman who is trying to figure life out, what would that conversation look like? How would that conversation go? So then you're, you're beginning to imagine, okay, so I can imagine him saying this as an answer to her problems, you know, just mm-hmm. take more, take more birth control pills, you know, <laughs> or just kill more babies. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, we're, I'm kind of really laughing at that, but it's like, it's like, you know, it's some of the laughter is like, this is revolting. Uh, but this is, this is also like the ultimate, you know, when, 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 when some people don't get that it is satirical and they, they are yeah. sometimes shocked by, by some of the words that are coming out of Jesus's mouth, you know? And, um, you know, like, 
I think obviously when you're dealing with abortion, that's that's just like, oh, this is gross. But in in some circumstances, that's appropriate. Um, it's not sacrilegious. It's appropriate to to expose the the evil of and the wickedness that is going on. But um, you know, so but if imagine how that conversation would go, right? So if he was woke, you know. Uh, he would tell her to to get crystals, you know, and but, to rub the crystals together, or to you know to go and and participate in uh, you know these these ayahuasca uh, sessions and take psychedelic drugs to like you know find her consciousness, her her deeper true consciousness, you know, and and basically like you know so it's it's woke Jesus, it's a new age uh, Jesus. Uh, meets you know sexual sexually immoral uh, teaching, so it's basically it's it's anti Jesus. That's <laughs> yeah. really what it is. And so you're imagining everything that that Jesus. So if you know what Jesus would say, I will say you have to know your content to a degree. So it does help that I teach I teach the Bible yeah. because I do know what Jesus would say to this young wo- woman. You know w- what does he say to the woman at the well, right? Um, he 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 exposes her sin. I know that you have you've had five husbands, and the guy you're living with, you're fornicating with, mm-hmm. and then and then he says um, every single essentially what he says is that every single one of these men you were looking at as a well from which to draw life, but they are broken cisterns. I am the water of life. If you drink of me, drink of me. Don't so stop running to the crystals and the and the ayahuasca and the all the thousands of different things that new age uh garbage gets people into come to Christ the water of life the well of life uh and you will never thirst again you'll never thirst for another man you'll never thirst for another situation or circumstance if you truly come to Christ uh he will fulfill and satisfy all of your needs and so this is what Christ would say and did say mm-hmm. right but now you have to invert that and imagine him not saying that, but saying exactly what the Antichrist would say. Mm-hmm. And so there's an imagine there is an imaginative effort that you have to that you have to kind of go through. I suppose it's like a little bit like Lu- C.S. Lewis when he was writing. Not to compare myself to C.S. Lewis because that is not that is a, okay. a, a that is not yeah in any way, shape, or form uh, applicable. But Lewis, when he was writing the screw tape letters, he had to imagine what a demon would think yeah. if a demon wanted to, in an intelligible way, uh, trip up and scandalize a Christian. And so he, so he had to, there was an imaginative element that was going on. So to make a meme, there is an imaginative element that's there connected with i suppose um a wit you know there, there's a there's a the thing about wit and i find that wit is a male uh character trait i don't oh, know if you've found I'm offended that. no I, it is <laughs> christopher christopher hitchens has entered entered the chat okay okay was that his opinion yeah he had that a whole women big thing witty? He, well he, he what he said is he's i think he said is um women aren't funny he at least said women comedians aren't funny, but he definitely, I think he might have said, yeah. So I'll put that in the show notes. 
burn. That's so good. I mean, it's well, he true. Had a whole, he had a whole thing about it, too. It was like 20, it's 20 true. minutes. Women, <laughs> women. <laughs> I mean, dude, women, part, part of their appreciation of men is that they enjoy laughing at our jokes. And yeah. they're genuinely, women are genuinely entertained by us. Um, and, and that's, that's, that's good. You know, that's a, that's a, that's a, a good complimentary, uh, quality. Um, but yes. And, and I also think that women probably shouldn't be witty. I, I would almost say there's probably a case to be made, uh, for the fact that I don't think that it would suit them well to be witty, just as it, I don't think it, it suits women to work out. Uh, and and to become muscular, I don't think muscular women are attractive. Yeah, I, I think that there are masculine qualities. Men were made for uh, physical uh, fighting and physical, um, you know, protection and provision. Uh, men were made. Men were made to be, in that sense, physical and. Uh, violent in in a in a in an ordered sense, um, but that is not something that women were made to do. Women, you know, no one no one fears a woman's deltoid, you know, muscle capability and capacity. <laughs> no one's no one is afraid of a woman's fists because women don't <laughs> fight with their fists. Yeah, women fight. Women fight with their shoulders. They fight by giving you the cold shoulder. True. You know, that's if that's how a woman fights a man. She just doesn't. She ignores him, doesn't talk to him, and drives him insane because of it. But the point is simply that she, she, a woman, you know, she'll. I think Chesterton said a woman will abandon her guns, but not her position. And so, so the idea is that women they fight differently. Um, they're not meant to fight, I don't think, in a in an antagonistic way. And I also think this is part partly why women hate arguing. But I also think like women mm. um yeah, women hate arguing. And and in an argument, uh, a part of argument is wit. A part of argument is the ability to turn a phrase uh or to uh really cause the enemy. Uh, or not the enemy, perhaps the opponent is a better word, cause your opponent to feel your point. And that's really the the, uh, the effect of wit. Uh, when a man is wise, he'll know how to answer something. But when he's witty, he makes you feel his wisdom. He mm. makes you feel that point. And that's that's many times why we love these aphorisms, right? So we, we read these uh, these r writers like Lewis, like Chesterton, Chesterton. and whoever else. Yeah. We, we just, we, these, these one liners, these zingers and we love zingers. I mean, Twitter is just, Twitter is like zingers on steroids, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like, and people just think of these zingers all day long and, and they know that if they, if they perfect this one inch punch, they're going to have people, you know, retweeting and, following and all this stuff and it's wonderful um so so the, the the uh i i do think though that wit you know it, it's it is somewhat like a sword that you are causing to you're, you're drawing blood um in a way and and so that's why in again in, in an argument or a proper debate uh many times the guy who makes the points uh the most concise or the the best uh, you know, felt 
uh, or the, his points are uh, really aphorisms, he will win the debate many times because people will be like, wow, this was, you know, I, I was, I was blown away by, by the, the power and persuasion, not just the persuasion, but the power of his argument. And so that's a, that's a rhetorical gift. Um, now women, I, I just don't think they're, again, I don't think women are as strong as men are, uh, when it comes to physical, uh, power. And I don't think that women are as strong as men when it comes to mental power. And I, I, I'm, I'm going to get crucified. It's, it's reason. Yeah. I think that women are not as strong in reason as they are, as men are. And that's partly why Eve was deceived. She was deceived because she should have been protected by Adam coming in with reason yeah. and saying, uh, what are you doing here? This is, you know, this is wrong because this, 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 and this. But what ended up happening was that the serpent deceived Eve um, by his persuasive powers and tw the, the twisting of truth. Um, but it doesn't say that Adam was deceived. It just simply says that he took and she gave it to him and he ate of it. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, Paul's a part of Paul's teaching uh, on the fact that women should not be teaching is, and, and assuming authority in the church is that Adam was formed first. Yes, we understand that, but that Eve was the first one to sin and she was sin. She sinned by, by being deceived. And so Paul is saying men have a stronger power of intellect and an, a, a stronger ability to not be deceived, which is part, you know, this is common sense. This is, you know, the, 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 the salesman who comes to the door selling, you know, sh you know, some charlatan or whatever, and he's, uh, he's trying to sell the wife, you know, and then the husband comes to the door. He's like, we don't want any of your garbage, you mm -hmm. know, <laughs> like, 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 or the, or the, the, the Jehovah's witnesses or the Mormons, they come to the door and your the wife is, is kind of trying to navigate the argument with them. And then the husband steps in and he says, Hey, no, this is, you know, and then he'll go and he'll begin to defend. And so this is, and, and this is also partly why you see that men dominate almost every field of study, you know, mm -hmm. and, and in, in the history of the world, you know, the, the greatest uh, wonders of the world were designed and, and, and built by men. And that's, that's, that's the combination of mental, or I should say, you know, in um, the, the, the power of reason and the power of uh, the body, which men were made to have superiority in. We were made to lead women uh, in the home and in the state. And, and so we were meant to, to provide and protect and lead in that ability to provide and protect, um, women. So, so this is all kind of like 40,000 foot perspective on yeah. my opinion on, on masculinity, but it's, it's not, it's not so that we can, you know, treat women like, uh, dirt or tr treat them like slaves um, but it's so that we can properly lead them and serve them and help and, and really uh, uh, make the family a success and make the state a success uh, or the nation a success. But all that to say, when someone is strong in something, they enjoy playing in that strength. Mm -hmm. So play, uh, uh, the, the, the idea of play is connected to humor um, because humor is fun. 
And that's why we say if, if someone is humorous, we call him funny. So women are not funny, <laughs> mm-hmm. partly because, in my opinion, women do not excel in the strength of, um, the, of, of reason, which is partly why men are funny, because they like to play with their, the strength of their, sk- of their, of their, their mind. Yeah. Uh, very much like when you go to a typical college campus, um, <clears throat> the men are the, are the, the men are the ones that are playing ultimate Frisbee. The men are the ones that are throwing the football around. The men are the ones that are kicking the soccer ball around. Why aren't the women? And, and when I say this, I'm saying this instinctively. It's not a social, um, it's, it's not, it's, a it's not co- social construct. Social construct. It's not something that's imposed upon men. Boys and men as males, we instinctively love to play uh, sports. And what is that? What is that thing that causes us to play sports? It's our physical prowess. It's the the fact that we have these muscles and we want to use them just even to play, Mm -hmm. not even to do anything really serious, just to kick a ball around, to run as fast as we can down a field, to, you know, to exert power. We we just want to play. And women, they don't want to play. (laughs) They don't want to exert their physical prowess. Well, they don't. They don't yeah. really want to instinctively. Instinctively, they they could be put into sports. You know, women. Women. I'm not saying that women can't play sports. Although, I don't care. You know, to watch women's sports, but no one does. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, exactly. That's partly why I don't even care about the trans thing. I'm like, let them ruin women's sports because I don't even care about women's sports. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it's the year of her but, feelings, but everybody. It's the year of her feelings. Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of joking. I'm kind of being facetious there but the point is (laughs) the point is simply that there's an instinct in men in the psychology of a man that just wants to uh exert the extra power this this abundance of energy physical power that um uh, uh that a woman does not have a woman just doesn't have the physical power that a man has and on on average on average i obviously know there are exceptions you know, some women look like men. <laughs> well, I mean, the, you know, the, the fastest man. Some women always, are buff. Yeah. Well, the fastest man will always be way faster than the stronger than the fastest woman. Strongest man is stronger. Exactly. The smartest, you know, but the, the but the yeah. but the dumbest man is dumber than the dumbest woman, right? That's the that's how the bell curve shakes out, right? Oh, there we go. Okay, yeah, that's true. That's it's, fair. That's true. That's men fair. have men have both higher and lower IQs than than than, than the highest and lowest woman IQ. That's fair. That's totally fair. So I would say. I would just say that because so when we see this in sport, right? Well, I would also think it, I think it transfers also into um, into the intellect and into the mind, uh, into the the minds of men uh, and women. The, the a man's mind has a power of reason that is superior to a woman's, and because of that, men love to play in the intellect. And mm-hmm. that's why that's why men write better than women when it comes to fiction. There's just better books written by men than there are women on average. Um, you know, uh, men imaginatively as artists are just there's more me- men that dominate the field of art and, and imagination than there are uh, women. 
um, it's, it's, again, it's, it's not that women can't be artists. It's just that the artists that dominate are usually men. Right. Uh, that comes that you can look at that in film and, you know, it's like, why aren't there more women directors? Because, or why aren't there more women screenwriters or whatever? It's, it's, it's just because men have a knack for this particular thing. And it's the same with humor in humor. You have a, that's more serious, but when it comes to humor, humor is this kind of super abundance of energy that of, of intellectual energy. And so (laughs) you're playing, you're kind of, there's a, there's an aspect of humor that is just playing like you and I, we're just kind of bantering back and forth and making jokes, you know, and laughing at our jokes uh, as we're doing this. And, and it's really because we have this kind of, we, we just, as men, I think we just have this abundance of mental, of mental capacity that it's not, it doesn't always have to be super serious. We can laugh at our jokes. We can make jokes. We can, you know, um, say things. And, and the, the wit is connected there because when I'm saying, well, pun, you know, there's a problem with the pride issue and pun, pun mm-hmm. intended or pun unintended, but it's like we're laughing at that because that right there is wit connecting a dot with, with a humorous aspect of the point being made. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's, so that's why I, why I think women are, are not as naturally funny. It's not that women can't make jokes or women can't, um, you know, uh, be comedians or things like that. Certainly there are some funny women, um, and comedians and otherwise, but it's just that I, I find that, uh, particularly even with satire that because satire has to do with wit and, and, and I would say that jokes in general do have to do with wit because there has to be a punch, you know, we call it the punch line, mm-hmm. right? And wit is a thing that you feel the punch. You That's feel right. the punch of wit. So th- that punch, women are just not used to punching. They're not used to punching physically. And I don't think they're used, they're used to punching uh, intellectually either. And I don't think they should be. I, agree. I don't think it's, I don't think it's a feminine thing for women to get involved in apologetics or to get involved in, in punching, you know, in, in, in taking things down. Cause I do think it kind of alters sometimes their demeanor and they become less feminine uh, by, 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 by mimicking male, male aggression and male aspects of aggression. Um, so I, I don't think it's, I think women, the, the feminine is what we appreciate about them and what they're really good at, which is, which is something that we're not good at. And if we become good at the feminine, we've become effeminized. Okay. We, we've become emasculated, right? So we shouldn't be doing what they do and they shouldn't be doing what we do. Mm-hmm. So, you know. But it, but it does, yeah, the hurt feelings thing when you say that women aren't funny, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, when we're not allowed in our modern world to say what anything is, as soon as you make a declarative statement that that is a girl, that is a boy, ah, you can't say that, you know, like you're, yeah, yeah, you're, yeah. you're allowed to negate things, but you can't say to mm-hmm. state affirm- affirmatively. And the way that I think yeah. about this is that men meet the world with uh, strength physical strength and reason. That is how we mm-hmm. meet the world. That is how yes. we're demanded to meet the world because if our job is to protect and provide, we do that with our strength and with our reason. 
right? And yes. so because that's how we meet the world, we, we play physical games with our strength and we play ideational games with our reason. Let's just kick this ball yes. around in our minds in yes. conversation, right? So I had a, I yes. had a, a, a group of about you know, 20 or so friends. We were in a Telegram chat and we would have just 20 guys. We would do like a thousand messages a day of this rolling conversation with the incident. It was out of wow. control. It was completely out of control, but it wow. swallowed up all of our free time. But you know, it's fine. amazing. But it was hysterical. And it was like, this is just what we did. We were just kicking around all these different soccer balls and just falling over laughing throughout the week. Yeah. Because we could do yeah. that because we meet yeah. the world with our, with our strength and with our reason. I think women meet the world with feeling which I think is what's beautiful about them. We're, men yes. shouldn't meet the world with their feeling. When a man meets the world with his feeling, he doesn't know what to do. And for, the yes. same, and for the same reason, when women meet the world with their feeling, they have a much stronger intuitive sense of the world and of relationships and of each other. And that's what's beautiful about them. And I think the yes. cultivation of men who meet the world with their feeling and women who meet the world with reason, I think that dishonors both men and women. And we're not allowed yes. to, we're not allowed to say that, you know, like it, it, yes. it, it comes out sideways and it's like, no, we were designed in very different, you know, uh, complementary in one sense ways to be very, to, to, to process reality in this different way that when you bring those two things together, when you bring feeling and reason and strength and intuition together in a couple in a marriage as two halves yeah. of one whole, you create something beautiful. But we're getting no. No one is allowed to say that anyone is anything. So everything because everyone becomes everything, and then no one is nothing. <laughs> yes, I totally agree with that. And I, I, I perhaps would maybe put it in in the language of nature and nurture, where man represents nature uh, as the first of God's creation, and woman represents nurture, which is so. It's both Ooh. nature and nurture working together, and you find this in how women relate to men. Many times, for example, uh, if I'm teaching or preaching, I'll have women come up to me afterwards and show me their notes, and they have they have ten times the notes that I have <laughs> right. about about the things that I've said, and I'm like, wow, that's incredible! I uh, that's incredibly thorough, and you can see how they've taken what you've done and they've nurtured what you've done, glorified it. And they've, yes, and so they've almost organized it in a way that is, that is perfect. And so really that, in that sense, they have helped you to, to perfect what you've, what you've done. And what was Eve? Eve was created to be a helper of Adam. So, so Adam is, is there initiating and, uh, and, you know, leading and acting upon creation and Eve is there helping him do so. And his vocation becomes part of her vocation, or really her whole vocation, is, is that she, his, his vocation, uh, her vocation uh, is, is to come alongside of his vocation and to make his vocation her vocation and so that they share the same vocation. Uh, uh, yes. But they're doing, it, they're doing it in an ordered way, in an so that the cart never goes before the horse and that it's being led properly. <clears throat> but women do have that kind of cart <laughs> ability to, to retain information. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's not that they, they can't keep up. It's that they need to be led. And so that, and so basically you have, again, as just, you know, using that analogy of, of uh, them coming al alongside or, or, you know, using reason 
to are coming alongside reason as they're led by reason, they will begin to understand it. And they'll be, you know, that's why I think Paul says, if, if the women have questions, let them ask their husbands at home. So, so when you, when she asks you, you have, you, you should, as the man, you should have an answer. Mm -hmm. So if you can't, you know, if you don't have an answer, you're probably not being a biblical man. You're not being a, a Christian man if you don't have an answer for your wife. If she's the one that's informing you instead of you informing her, you should be leading her, especially in faith and morals. And um, in terms of the emotion, I do think that men feel um, as well, but absolutely, w- women, women can, again, nurture the feeling. They can nurture, as, as I think a woman coming up to me and saying, hey, I have 10 pages of notes for every one page of notes that you've made, mm-hmm. you know, they can have more emotion than we have um, and, and basically help us to perfect, help us to perfect that emotion in ourselves. Because I do think that, you know, I suppose we have uh, uh, inherited perhaps, unfortunately, um, in a Protestant sense, uh, a little less of the, I, I would say, I would say we've, we've inherited a little less of the Catholic um, <laughs> uh, joie de vivre, you know, like this. Mm. There, there's something about when you look at Catholic art um, and uh, particularly men like Michelangelo, uh, who were uh, really you know, Michelangelo went through a period in his life where he was convicted of um, immoral uh, arch- art. And uh, he was, uh, Florence, I don't want to get into the whole history of it, but Florence was um, basically, uh, you know, it, 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 it went through a revival at the end of the 15th century under the uh, the really the instigation of a guy named uh, Savonarola. And he was a little bit of a Protestant reformer himself. Um, but he, you know, he didn't, uh, he, according to the Catholics, he was, he died outside of the, the church, but he was protesting uh, the, the papal corruption and the Catholic corruption. And he went into Florence and he preached the gospel and he got all of these Florentine artists, you know, because Florence was where the art, you know, capital was. The Renaissance? The Renaissance, that's right. And he got all these guys to essentially throw, as as the story goes, um, all of their art, in in, all of the immoral art and pagan art that they had been uh, painting into a pile in the middle of the city, and he lit it on fire. And it's called the bonfire of the vanities. And well, is that uh, what that is? Yes, yes, right. that's where the phrase comes from. And so Savonarola was a man of God, and and you know uh, he was he was he was just he was a revivalist. You know he was just saying, look, we need to return and repent, and this is sinful, and this this Renaissance is is getting out of hand. It's becoming you know connected with concupiscence, and yeah. it is it is being con- connected with lust. And uh, and we're just unleashing ourselves in this art, but so so he was he was so Michelangelo was sitting at his feet, and my, so Michelangelo saw and walked through 
this bonfire of the vanities with 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 Savonarola. Savonarola was later, you know, killed uh, by the Catholic Church. No surprise, but yeah. but they do. He <laughs> well, that's what they did certainly, mm. and so they're a little tamer now. But the point is simply that uh, <laughs> at, at at some point, you know, he 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 had this experience, and really, I think it it put him on a trajectory to properly understand how to paint, uh, how to sculpt, how to properly um, engage with Christian imagination or engage with beauty in it, but through a Christian imagination. And I think that um, some of our, our inheritance as Protestants is a little bit more on the serious yeah. side that is less connected we just don't care about beauty as much as we should. And I think that, you know, beauty is an emotive quality. It's beauty is, is something that affects us deeply, but as Protestants, sometimes, you know, there's a puritanical and I, and I, I love the Puritans to a degree. I love them, yeah. but, but to a degree, the Puritans were a little bit reactionary against the Catholic Renaissance and, and, and essentially the idea of art and beauty in the church. And I think that that has some, somewhat affected our psychology so that as Protestants, we, we, we are kind of standoffish with beauty. And as men, I, I look at some of the men of, of Christian history and they cared about beauty and they cared about, and they were emotional men, you know, and, and I don't think it's, I don't think being emotional um, is the same as giving into emotionalism. Hmm. And I think that, and I think that there's, you know, there's a, there, we even see this in the gospel. We, we see this in uh, the zeal that uh, John had, John the beloved, you know, John the beloved had a zeal for Christ. It was emotional. It was, it was an, it was a love that was, there was an ardor connected to to that love that that John had, and he and he was laying his his head on on Christ's shoulder, you know, and and the world would take that and, and sexualize it, yeah, just as they sexualize everything. But th- it wasn't it wasn't sexual; it was emotional. It was um, beautiful, and it was pointing to the fact that there was something there was something there was this holy fire that john had of his love was a holy love it was a holy fire that he that the holy spirit had fanned into a flame in his life and and it, it was it was emotional i think and so i i, I so i don't i don't think that, that I, I don't think that to be a man you can't be like john the beloved um because I think he was very manly. Um, and, and I think that masculine men love in a, in a, in a, in a passionate way, um, in a, in a, in an emotional sense, masculine men, you know, and I, I would almost say that romance, the whole idea of romance being this, um, passionate, uh, can, um, uh, uh, fidelity to a, a particular task, um, you know, like killing a dragon, for example. There's something, you have to have a passionate love for the princess 
to kill the dragon, but you also have to have a passionate hatred for the dragon to kill and to, to, to want to protect the princess. And so, so there's, so there's passion in romance, uh, in the romance of, of the dragon, you know, and the princess and you as the knight errant protecting the, the, the princess from the dragon, which is really, I think, a perfect image of, of masculinity, uh, particularly Christian chivalry and Christian uh, masculinity, um, you know, as men protecting and providing for women, but doing so in a way that kills the dragon, that identifies, that identifies the evil in the world and says, I'm going to defeat this. And even if I die, I'm going to defeat this. That is, in my opinion, true romance. It's fidelity to a task that may seem insurmountable um, and odds that may seem um, difficult uh, to overcome. But nonetheless, it's a passion that drives you. It's an ardor and a zeal that consumes you. And, uh, and we, should, we, should have a, we should have a zeal for the house of God. Jesus said, a zeal for your house has consumed me. And I think there's, so there, there's, so that's emotion and that's emotional. So I don't, I don't think that that's wrong in any way. I agree with you. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, very much so that, that we, we don't necessarily meet the world with our emotions, but our emotions fuel us forward to meet the world, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And we yeah. should, we should, we should connect that or we should um, a, a, a allow ourselves to, to be that way and not think, am I being, you know, is this, is this kind of affectation, you know, like, is this me just being emotional, like, uh, in a, in a, in a womanly way? I, I, I don't think it is. I think, I think that we should be leading women in emotion. I mean, if you look at the, if you look at, um, the, the, the liter the love literature, right? If you look at like Shakespeare's sonnets, why why is it that almost all of the poetry love poetry is written by men for women mm -hmm. you know why is it almost never women writing for men mm -hmm. yet women are the emotional ones right mm -hmm. emotional ones it, it's 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 but the but the love poetry is deeply emotional the song of songs or uh, sorry the song of songs right uh, th that that book that is written as a love poem from the bride or from the groom to the bride. Mm. And it's the, it's the man who's being emotional in that book. I'm just saying it's, yeah. there's something. Yeah. So maybe we've basically what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that maybe as, uh, you know, wherever we get it from, um, wherever we get the kind of sternness from, I remember CS Lewis talking about this, in his book, um, on uh, it's called The Pilgrim's Regret. And mm. in that book, he, he talks about his experience as a child. And um, there was basically this experience he had as a child where he was shown two different sides of his grandfather. Um, and basically, you know, his, his grandfather, when he was talking about religion, was very stern and very no emotion and very this is God's word and I am John MacArthur. No, yeah. It's whatever. Yeah. It's very, very like this. And then C.S. Lewis would say, then, then when he was done 
talking about God, he would take his mask off mm. because it was a mask. He was wearing a mask and it was a very plain mask. It was a very fake, a very, you know, um, he would take his mask off and he was smiling underneath and he was happy and he mm. was joyful. And so it was when he was not talking about God that he was expressing himself, you know, in a, in a happy sort of emotional way, which happiness is an emotion. Um, and so, so it, it basically you're having, you, you, uh, C.S. Lewis, he, he never understood why there was a, dis, why there was a separation between talking about God as, and, 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 and being a normal human being, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, yes, we can talk about God and, and still have, um, delight and joy that is connected to that experience, which, mm-hmm. which gives us, which actually gives us a happiness so that our disposition isn't anger. Uh, uh, our disposition isn't, uh, solemnity. Our, our, dis- our disposition isn't this kind of serious demeanor, but our disposition is joy and happiness and delight in the things of God. So that, so that we, so that that's what, and isn't that what we're called to do as Christians? Isn't that the ultimate chief aim of a Christian to delight ourselves in the, in, in, in the person of God, in, in the, in the being of God? you know, to, to find our joy, our happiness, our delight in God. Isn't that our goal? Mm-hmm. And yet some of us, honestly, some of us are as, are, are as, you know, serious as a brick. And it's, and, and I, th- so I think that, so I think that art has a, a role to play. Art has a role to play in stirring up our zeal in fanning the flame of zeal, in, in fanning the flame of ardor and um, passion for the things of God. And I don't look at art as, as, a, as a, a means of, um, as an obstacle to that. Um, can art become an obstacle? Yes. But the purpose of art, the, the purpose of beauty in the Christian life should be to glorify the Lord and to enjoy the Lord and to, uh, you know, to cause us to, to, to stir ourselves into loving him as, as a man would stir himself into loving his wife by reading poetry to her. You know, when we're singing to the Lord in church, that song of praise should be, it's artistic, uh, for the purpose for the same purpose that a poem written to a woman or wife is, 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 is the purpose is the same. It's to stir ourselves to love in a deeper, uh, truer, uh, more, uh, uh, you know, powerful way. So anyway, that was, that was, I I couldn't agree. (laughs) I I really couldn't agree more. I really, yeah, no, that's, and that's why all that is, believe it or not, why I'm a Calvinist, <laughs> because <laughs> I love it. Well, no, because Calvinist it, for the win. Yeah. Well, I mean, because because it it's so deeply liberating. 
it's, uh, you know, like, and I think this is the sneaky part of like workspace theology. It's like, well, you know, if I have to contribute to my own salvation, then how do I know that I'm contributing if it hurts? So if it hurts, then I'm being saved. So let me whip myself and starve. You know, this, this is the end product. Yeah. And it's like, if, as, long as, as soon as you let go of workspace theology, it's like, you mean I, I can just have this? Yeah, you can have it. It's yours. It's like, really? <laughs> How, yeah. Hallelujah. You know? Yeah, so, yeah, so that's, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, why so, that you're, so it becomes a response of love to the Lord, a response of gratitude, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's fine. So, okay. So I, I know I you can get behind that. Oh, sweet. All right. We win. So, <laughs> one more. So, so I know you've got to go, but I, I wonder if we could just p- spend five minutes talking about um, your new AI, <laughs> the new AI stuff that you've been doing. Is Sillygram Ministries, is that you or AI Pastor? Yeah, Sillygram Ministries. Yeah. So, so basically, no, AI Pastor is not me. Um, oh, okay. okay. That's, I think that might be my brother. I actually don't know who that is. Oh, okay. Um, no, so I'm connected to Theos Memes. Uh, formerly what was known as Theos Memes and uh, Sillygram, yeah, Sillygram Ministries. I mean, uh, you know, I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen with that because honestly, yeah, it's 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 kind of sad because I I kind of wish we would have you know kept Theos U Memes going, um, but apparently you know we were getting shadow banned and and you know they they were frustrated at that. So anyway, oh okay, oh okay. So I I was wondering, yeah. I I saw the post that you guys had wrapped up Theos U Theos U Memes. And I thought it was a joke, but I guess it was not. It was not a joke. It was no, a, it's not okay. a joke. It's it was not the, a joke. It's you rickrolled everybody. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No. It's. Um, I think the account may still exist, but I the the consensus uh, is that we were being shadow banned, and because of that, we you know we needed to start a new account because we didn't see a way forward with continuing to be shadow banned. So, oh, I see. you know, yeah, I, I just, I, I just make the memes and they do whatever they want with them, you know? Got so, <laughs> so you- but I don't, I, it's a contributive effort. It's, it's a, a bunch of us. It's, there's probably seven of us who make memes all between oh. ourselves. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, so a whole team. Me- it's, it's a oh. meme team. That's how it's- we get the meme magic. It's, that sounds like it's so teamwork that makes the dream work. Oh, that's a, that actually sounds like a lot of fun. Like that, that's it's a, a lot of fun. Yeah, is that what the radio <laughs> show a, is? The the uh, yeah the podcast. Seen, oh, is that a podcast? I've seen some. I I've seen the prank calls that you've made. You guys, yeah, are yeah, 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 dying. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. It's just stupid fun. Um, but yeah, they they uh, you know because I live in New York and they're in Nashville, and so it's you know I it, I I can't make it. For all their shows but right. when i'm in town we'll do a meme show um but but yeah they they just yeah they're they're hilarious um yeah i we have a thread where we just put all of our ideas out there and so some honestly some of the ideas they're too spicy and when they're too uh-huh. spicy i post them on my personal instagram <laughs> <laughs> take one for the team I I just you know because when I when I like when I think uh like some of these guys are like you know particularly Nathan Nathan's like trying to cover his you know he's trying to he's trying to make it so that you know Nathan's the diplomatist in mm-hmm. in the OCU. um so he's always he's always thinking of diplomacy 
and I'm always thinking of war. <laughs> uh, can relate. <laughs> so basically, I'm always like, no, like, what, you know, when can we launch these these missiles? And Nathan, good cop, <laughs> bad cop. Yeah, exactly. And Nathan's like, let's not let's la- not launch any missiles, okay? We 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 don't need any more, you know, uh, bodies in in the uh, in the wake. So so anyway, we're it's a fun team, but, um, yeah, sometimes we'll, you know, we'll, we'll get carried away with our memes and then we'll just kind of put a rain, we'll rain them in. Mm. Um, so there, there are a lot of memes that haven't been revealed, um, just because they're too spicy, but we love it. And, um, you know, we're going to, we're going to continue because it's a part of our thing, you know, like our, it's, it's a part of, of us, you know, Nathan and I, we've, we've always loved humor and, we we've always enjoyed a good laugh and and so we're just it's a part of who we are so we're just going to do it you know and i suppose that's where even the woke jesus stuff came from it was just like i was you know just thinking of like okay let's 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 turn woke jesus loose here you know like what would jesus say you know <laughs> things jesus never like you know the things jesus never said uh that hashtag you know it's mm-hmm. kind of old i was like well, let's invert that let's 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 go to like woke jesus and things that he would say and so i just started with that on my instagram and then it just boom like literally within a few days people were like you need to this is a whole account you need to start an account so so anyway um so that's kind of how these things evolve you know so i don't i'll find out who runs ai pastor that's a new one for me i just Mm -hmm. i recently just saw that um i'm not on that thread if there's a thread for that i'm not on it AI Got pastor, it. it's hilarious. Pla- yeah. Plausible deniability. I thought for sure AI pastor, silly grim, because it was served right next to all your stuff. I'm like, this is creative, and it's it's it getting a little be, weird. Yeah, it, it might be Nathan. Um, I don't know who who. I mean, they obviously haven't disclosed themselves, right? Mm-hmm. So we don't we don't really know who who it is. I'll find out though. I'll I'll let you know. The meme warfare. Well, one one last question. Do you have a favorite meme that comes to mind? I know my favorite. My favorite is the youth takeover meme. <laughs> the youth takeover. <laughs> yeah, that that's one. really good. That's really good. I like uh I like a number of them. I like the pastor's son ones. Um, <laughs> he's ready. Because yeah, he's ready. Like my son's gonna take over the church, you know, because that's a typical refrain. Uh and and you growing up in Christianity, <laughs> like I grew mm. up in 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 this, yeah. right? So I, I grew up in church world and um and so I, you, you, you grow up in church world and you, you begin to see how things are very normative, um, mm-hmm. or you, at least you see the things that are normative. And one of them is it's very typical for a pastor to, you know, have a son or whatever and a family member and have kind of a nepotistic attitude towards their family. And, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's just there. It's a part of it. It's like, Family businesses, you know, in that sense, are very much the same the same way. Um, so the pastor's son thing is hilarious to me because it's you know it's just it hits home as my dad's a pastor, you know, and and uh, and so I and I you know just I've seen other pastors' sons go insane and go completely crazy. And um, Abraham Piper. Well, there you go. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. that that blows my mind. Yeah. Um, but. Yeah, so it's so it's an interesting dynamic. I love that one. Um, of course, I love all the ones that where we attack egalitarian theology. 
Um, and <laughs> I also like some of the ones that we do with worship leaders, um, where they're like, it's all about Jesus. And then, and then we show the worship leader and the worship leader is like decked out like Elvis Presley or Neil Diamond or something like that. Yeah, yeah, or like Ma- Madonna with the ha- Super Bowl halftime show. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's all about Jesus. And then it shows the <laughs> halftime show and it's just like insane. And, um, and coming from, coming from the Hillsong, you know, type worship world, it's like, you do see that. Like you, you see how, <clears throat> you know, that's again, something that hits home because, um, you know, we were, we were music artists even before we did uh, Theosu, we did a lot of music. And so, so we were rubbing shoulders with a lot of CCM artists and worship artists that we found that a lot of the artists, they just wanted to be, to be rock stars and they didn't really want to glorify the Lord. Mm. You know, it wasn't about, it wasn't about the Lord. It was about glorifying themselves. And, um, and so, uh, so yeah, some of the memes that, that I love the most are just the, the personal ones, you know, they're, they're, uh, the ones that, that connect with me the most, uh, personally. Um, and, uh, and I think the dispensational ones are also hilarious, you know, cause we love, we love mocking dispensational theology as well. Yeah. And it's just like, and it, but dispensationalism, again, it's like growing up, you know, in Pentecostalism, um, charism- charismatic theology and stuff it's, it's drenched in dispensationalism. Yeah. And so, so we're, so it's, it's very much connected to our own personal experiences theologically. And we've come to, you know, like an Orthodox, more Orthodox positions on all these issues. And so we're, you know, we're, we're like recovering from, you know, those, those problems within our own movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so they're just funny. They're, they're funny because they're personal. They're more, so it's, it's not like I look at them and I'm like, oh, objectively, like, I think there are objectively funny memes and you, it's, the proof is in the engagement. Some of the, some of the memes, the engagement that we get is just off the charts. It's like, wow, this is, there, people are really going off, going, you know, going, going crazy about this particular meme. But the ones that I find uh, are funniest to me are the ones that I uh, personally relate to. So mm, for your upbringing. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> I want to, um, <laughs> I, I, I feel like this is like a show rather than tell kind of moment. Like you got kind of have to see what the ones that you're talking about. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was talking about the, um, the worship ones. So you have the, there's a Madonna one. There's a, um, a the Super Bowl halftime show one the uh, Elvis Presley one, the Neil Diamond one, those are, those are funny to me because, you know, they're just, um, they're, they're mocking that, that video or that worship experience. And then you have the ones mocking dispensationalism. And then the ones that are, uh, dealing with, um, the pastor's son, you know, like he's ready. And then it shows Jeffrey Dahmer, you know. Or... <laughs> Normally, it's just a dude's doing absolutely ridiculous things on a camera, like on a unicycle. Yeah. or something. like, what is this? Yes. Why did you? Yeah. How yeah. did this get it out of your phone onto the internet? Why did you do <laughs> exactly. that? Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, yeah. So those are those are my I would say my personal faves. Um, yeah. Excellent. Well, this has been this has been fantastic. I I did not expect to have such an in depth philosophical theological conversation 
So, uh, oh, cool. which I know really cool. hugely rewarding for me. And there's a lot, um, it's a lot more that I want to, that I, that I feel like we have to dive into. So we'll probably have to do this sure. again. Sure. Would love it, man. I had such a great time, Will. And, uh, you're, you, you, you let me kind of rant, which, which I kind of, I'm a little bit mad at you for letting me rant. Cause uh, if you let me, I'll, I'll rant the entire time, unfortunately. Um, that's but what we do, that's but what I, we do around I, here. I appreciate your patience with me. Oh no, not at all. Not at all. Because there is, um, I think there was, I actually was taking notes on some of the mind blowing things that you said, you know, you know, sin is harming yourself, right? You're not actually violating God's law. You're, you're harming yourself with that. Like uh, that yeah. is something that I've been, we could talk for another hour about that. God having rights over the state, women being easily deceived. I think all these subjects are so valuable. They're such valuable concepts. And so I think that there's going to be a lot uh, for, for listeners to dive into because it comes out of the rant. It comes out of the, yeah. the idea of like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to improv as I talk my thoughts out and then something's going to come out. Like, how do I know what I think until I hear myself say it? Right. It's like that. So sure. uh, not at all. Yeah. It wasn't, wasn't a trouble at all. Thank you for those. Very cool. Where I'm, uh, I'm glad, glad it worked out. Fantastic. So where, where, um, where would you like to send people to find out more about you, what you do, memes, the whole thing? Yeah. So I really, I only have, um, the only social media that I have right now is Instagram. Uh, you can find me at Gabriel Finocchio 2.0. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I have 2.0 because my first account got deleted, uh, because I was talking about the VAC too much. Yeah. And, um, so that's that, but the real God so, of the system. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, so so that's my Instagram. Uh, you can follow Woke Jesus Christ on Instagram as well. And then uh, Theos University is uh, where we have subscription-based theology and uh, where we also have uh, gentlemen teaching who are Reformed. Uh, one of our favorite professors, uh, Dr. Uh, David Campbell, uh, he is a wonderful Reformed uh, teacher, Bible teacher and pastor. And he's, he, he, his, his figure looms large in our, uh, in our teaching. So, so we, we are very, um, you know, we, we accept, uh, all Orthodox, uh, Christians as they, you know, teach. Um, but anyway, yeah, so we have Theos University, uh, it's theosu.ca and, uh, for $14 a month, you can subscribe, uh, and, uh, get, you know, bite-sized theology. Um, that that hopefully is helping you love Jesus more and more and know his word more and more each day. So. Excellent. Well, I look forward to you telling David Campbell that you're Calvinist now. So that'll be really cool. <laughs> <laughs> we actually have a little bit of a feud on that, but I love him so much. He's he's helped me so much and, and I, uh, I love his teaching. He's one of my favorites. It's fantastic. So. Well, thank you yeah. so much, Gabe. I really appreciate this. All right, Will. Thank you. God bless you, brother. Thanks for listening to this episode 
of the Renaissance of Men podcast. Visit us on the web at renofmen.com or on your favorite social media platform at Ren of Men. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance.